here tonight to debate it out on the series. First up, we've got returning guests to the show, V-Lord GTZ! Hi, everybody. And up next, we have a returning guest to Manga Bites, who drew down with your MC here, Lum Ramayasha, on Toriko, the host of the Shonen Jump-centric podcast, Friendship, Effort, Victory, Maxi Bona! Hello. <laughs> wow, guys, hold on. <laughs> Save it for the fight. Uh, I've got all my smack talk deep inside of me. Yeah, same. Uh, holy my shit. My smack talk is my stand. Yes. I can tell these fighters are both extremely excited to be here. They're going to duke it out. They're going to go all on each other. What about Muda 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 Muda? Yes, one of you can be Dio, the other can be Jotaro. Which is which? Decide now! Well, Dio dies, so I guess it'll be Jotaro. Okay, Maxi, that makes you Dio. Can I, like, be the still bull run Dio so at least I just get to kind of get folded into another reality and replaced by a more popular <laughs> version of Dio? Well, he kind of dies in a, wor- in a more worse way, though, that when you think about it. Yeah, no, it, it's really horrible, and, uh,. I mean that—that's—that's that's just how I'm gonna roll with a horrible death. <laughs> Where am I going with this? I just want to walk the dinosaur. Oh, by the way, I'm—I'm I'm here too. Yes, Colton is also here. He is not judging this manga fight because all of you didn't like his judging. Yeah, nobody nobody likes it when I'm judge apparently. So I, I am I am now demoted to fact checker and stopwatch holder. And moral support. And moral support, <laughs> yes. Yes. At the end of the day, I think that's the most important. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. It's a new year, new beginnings, and I feel utterly refreshed, like I put on a new pair of underwear on New Year's Day. <laughs> I really hope that you did, because <laughs> otherwise it's kind of gross. Minus one point for V-Lord. This is how I'm going to win. I'm just going to stay quiet and you'll dig your own grave. It's perfect. Now, 
gentlemen, before we get on with the manga fight, would you like to go over your experience with JoJo and why you think you will win this manga fight? Hmm. Okay, I'll start. Um, I got into JoJo near the end of 2012 when the anime started airing in Japan. But strangely enough, I didn't start with the anime. I started with the manga since I was more interested in the actual source material. And right away, JoJo kind of surprised me because compared to other series I had seen, other Battle Shonen, JoJo starts off very differently. For the first 10 chapters, it's not really about fighting. It's about this young feud for inheritance between Dio and Jonathan as children. And then it slowly builds up into the action. Then, of course, once you get to the 50 chapter mark at the end of part one, the main character dies. And then you go into a new cast of characters, and the cycle kind of continues. And for me, I had never really seen a series like that. So right away, I just kind of loved it. And from then on, I just kind of binged through the entire manga until I eventually caught up. And yeah, that's about it. Fascinating stuff. Maxi, what about you? Do you remember how many breads you've ever eaten in your life? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so like, my, my origin with Jojo actually starts kind of weird, because when I was like a preteen, I was a, a regular buyer of, I think, Games Master at the time, a, a UK gaming magazine. And it had previews for an upcoming PS2 game that might not make it to the UK. And it featured... A, a blonde man in a purple suit with weird curls in his hair being licked by some sort of humanoid monster. And, uh, I've, I've since learned this is, uh, Giorno Giovanni in, um, in Jojo Part 5 Ventawario from the PS2 video game based on that, uh, getting licked by his stand. But like, as a kid, I was like, I don't know what this is. This is weird. I want it. and that became me like literally trying to work out what this thing was uh, around the point I started getting onto message boards and the like at 13 so 2003 or whatnot and discovering that sort of early stage of scans where there were bits of it here and there and like I I think I'd I'd piece together like random chunks of stuff starting with part 5 because it was the one I'd seen I wanted to know what the hell that was and uh, from there, I then went back to part one, two, and then Stardust Crusaders started coming out in English by Viz. So I just started buying it legit that way. And like, it just, it amazed me because it was a absolutely but ugly, hideous comic in so many ways, but it featured the most interesting poses, the most interesting action, like just, and weirdly, like the most beautiful people, like... They, they shouldn't have looked good because there was some stuff wrong there with their bodies and faces at times. But it was just unlike anything else I'd seen, even if I was freaked out by a lot of the animal violence, which that's Iraqi. And like from then, I, I kept reading it uh, and kind of just jumped for joy around 2012 when other people started going on about Jojo because like the best possible anime adaptation came out. And continues to come out somehow. Like, what world is this? It's amazing. Uh, and that's basically my history with Jojo. I've just been a, a fan of it for almost 15 years. That's not a good amount of wow. time. Oh, damn. Wow. That's, that's a long time. Um, 
I actually kind of want to talk about how I got into JoJo as well, real quickly. Um, so, cause it, it's really funny because when I when I first um, when I first like my first exposure with JoJo, I was not a fan of it. Like, I was I was I think I was in middle school at the time, so I couldn't have been any older than like twelve or thirteen. And uh, a friend of mine was uh, was very into it and uh, had told me to uh, check it out a couple times and then the next time I went to my local bookstore and had some money on me to spend I decided to buy the first volume of uh of uh, Starters Crusaders cuz obviously that was all that was out at the time uh legally and uh, I bought it I bought it without really like flipping through it at all first which <clears throat> I started flipping through it when I got home and I'm just I'm seeing a lot of the stuff out of context and not really actually reading it like out of context. Jotaro just looks like he's making out with this school nurse, but but in reality <laughs> he's actually trying to pull uh, pull Kakuin's stand out of her. Which I don't know if that really makes that scene any better or not. But you know I I went through those pages and I went I don't know if I should be reading this. It like really actually weirded me out <laughs> and grossed me out, and I actually went to return it to buy something else. Because I, I didn't really understand what I was, like, looking at at the time, and it just really weirded and grossed me out. So I kind of avoided it for a few years until uh, the anime started coming out, and I started watching it from there. And um, I this is going to be another unpopular opinion for me, but every time I think about, like, what part do I like the most, I... Uh, for some reason, I always come back to part one. Like I legitimately, I legitimately mm. love part one. I know, I know. Nobody, nobody likes when I say that. But like, I be really... honest, Colton, is it because part one has the only decently drawn dog in the entirety of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? <laughs> um, but Iggy, <laughs> Iggy is not a dog. I don't even know what Iggy is. It has a human face. <laughs> it's a dog with a human face, and it's pretty not gross. at first. True. I mean, I, I could go on a whole other podcast about this, and I won't, but, like, I, I like part one just, I think it's mostly because of nostalgia, but I also, I, like, there I, there are legitimate aspects of part one that I really do enjoy, like the like the rivalry between Jonathan and Dio. I think it carries a lot of the story very well, and I think it's very engaging, but I, I will also admit that part one does have a lot of flaws and, and and isn't always like super exciting to read it i think it certainly does drag in the middle at some points but i still love it so and then pretty much from there i just started watching the anime and that's really about it mm -hmm. very briefly uh i got into the series because we lord started reading and watching it so then I started reading and watching it, and then I liked it so much that I ended up reading part seven and eight before he did. So it was only by like a few months, I think. Yes, but I beat you by those few months. You fell behind. I'm scared. Fair enough. <laughs> As you should be, because I'm a much tougher judge than Colton ever was. And yeah. you're going to have to really try your damnedest to convince me that your argument is the best in our JoJo's Bizarre Adventure manga fight. Let's begin right now. Now, gentlemen, all the JoJo's are quite unique in their own ways. But, which of the titular JoJo's from each part, which among them is the best JoJo? 
Maxi, how about you? I'm ready. All right, uh, Maxi, your time starts now. Okay, I'd like to argue that the best JoJo is Jolene Cujo from Part 6 Stone Ocean. Uh, I mean, in her corner, mostly, more than anything, is that she's the only female JoJo, a significant attempt by Raki to branch out and differentiate himself from what had previously been big, burly men and quite androgynous men, depending on which part you're on about. Uh, and she gets progressively more masculine through the series, but that becomes good representation in its own way. She's a non-traditional woman leading the story. She provides adult content in a teen magazine in really interesting ways, like especially while it's still in the prison setting. Like, I mean, I could go on at end about how she's a character who talks about and engages in masturbation in a magazine aimed at 13-year-olds. That's <laughs> mind-blowing. And it's not titillating. It's just an actual thing she says. And that's weirdly real. It helps that she's also got one of the best stands in the series that affects her actual body and that her outfit reflects the stand with its sort of spiderweb design, or at least her main outfit, as with all JoJo's. All right, time up. V-Lord, your answer! Okay, so while I love Jolene, I have to say that the best stand in... Well, no, best, uh, best JoJo. JoJo. The best JoJo in the series is Johnny Joestar from Steel Ball Run. While he is kind of an alternate timeline counterpart of Jonathan Joestar, he's completely different from him. He's not stoic. He's not honorable. He's very much a selfish person. He kind of wants to use the power of the spin and the holy corpse to his own benefit of learning how to walk again. And we kind of see through the entire course of Silver and his development through the evolution of his stand from going from Tusk Act 1 all the way to Tusk Act 4 and how it's changing him as a person from his experiences with the gyro and the other people around him. And I'd say, like, just like how Jolene was a very untraditional female character running a JoJo part, Johnny was a very untraditional male character in the course of JoJo because he was very different from other JoJo's before him and even after him, like, part right, of Joe's time up. All right, um, Maxi, counter-argument. So, like, I love Johnny actually being a choice for this because out of all of them, it's, you know, the, the most interesting comparison. Uh, more than anything, because he's relegated to being the deuteragonist in Steel Ball Run. Like, he doesn't get to be the main character, yet he's still, despite the fact he's not heroic, he's not the main character, he gets to be victorious. Jolene doesn't. She she leads the series. She gets to be the most interesting and most complicated character in Stone Ocean. But she she loses. She ceases to exist. And like not in a heroic like Jonathan Joestar way. Like she's just removed from the picture, and the victory's handed over to like a a kid who's Emporio. Yeah, Emporio, who's barely a part of like. Well, he is a part of the series, but he's not really important. He's a side character. He's Koichi without the potency. Whereas Jolene was there being badass, being amazing, doing all the coolest stuff in the series. And, you know, she got her sort of sad loss moment. And I feel like Johnny needed that to, like, he needed the humility to bring him down to the right level. Uh, probably not to level being erased from existence. But, like, that's something that really defined Jolene well, is that she wasn't a winner. She wasn't this great fighter. She just kind of ate shit in a lot of ways <laughs> like despite how hard she tried and that made just the most interesting character in the most interesting story hmm. and your response to that Lord? I mean I'd argue Johnny also kind of ate a lot of shit 
I mean, he lost his legs in the first place because of trying to build up this act as kind of like this arrogant type of jock, and that got him like shot and stuff. And even in the course of the story, he never wins the steel ball run. He loses pretty badly and gets disqualified. And then even after all this stuff, he still has kind of a shitty life. As we learn in part eight, eventually his wife got infected with the Higashi kind of rock disease, and then he tries to make a deal with the holy corpse of Jesus, and it just completely fucks him over, and he gets crushed by a boulder. I mean, sure, he's not erased from existence, but I still feel that he had to face a lot of humility, even if it wasn't as high of a degree of humility, which, to be fair, part six is, like, the most insane part of any JoJo, so it's hard to really gauge the, like, consequences of actions between them. Mm. But, yeah, I'd say that Johnny did face similar humility to what Jolene had faced. Counter-argument, Maxi. He faced a lot of it retroactively, though. Like, a lot of part eight, with how it addresses what happens to Johnny N, just feels like kind of an attempt to write him out of the minds of people and just going like, oh yeah, no, he's the reason, like, there's all this significant stuff going on that, like, he's part of the history of the setting, but he also just kind of had crap stuff happen to him, so haha, sucks if you're a fan of Steel Ball Run, which is kind of like, a, a thing that Raki does a lot. I mean, there's a reason why he went and let Joseph Joestar live on long enough to become an old impotent man who can't hear anything, or canon is a dick, depending on your mileage. Um, I think, like, I mean, you've made a lot of good points. That's given me a hard fight here. But I just, I, I really just love Jolene on a lot of levels. Just the things she, I kicked my desk. <laughs> uh, the things she manages to achieve. Like the fact she has a power set that's her own and is super interesting. Like the fact it morphs her body. Uh, it, it, it mirrors Johnny in a lot of ways. Like that picks it up later. But his is kind of gifted to him through this weird concept of the Jesus stuff. Whereas hers is just, you know, it's the lineage, it's the family line, it's the core idea of legacy that informs JoJo's Bizarre Adventure properly. Which, I mean, Still Bull Run wasn't even really that until it left for Ultra Jump. Counter-argument. Relord. I, I, I see that point, but I still say that what Johnny was facing, like, it still is very much... Very... <clears throat> I don't know the best way to put this, but, like, it's still very, I feel, impactful. And I think even beyond just the struggles that Johnny faced, I feel that he's kind of a much more human character than Jolene, in a way, because he kind of is a person who made a ton of mistakes in his life. He has all this regret in his life, like, regretting feeling responsible for being a part of his, like brother's death because of his rat running on the horse track and like i'd say sure like maybe his whole death is kind of overkill in a way but at the same time i feel that all the struggles that are presented for johnny is very much pushes his character to greater heights than i feel were done with jolene and I and I kind of feel that's kind of a whole thing with Steel Ball Run. Was Steel Ball Run, I feel, focused a lot more on the character's kind of overall journey within the main cast than Stone Ocean did. Not to say Stone Ocean didn't also do that to a degree, but I feel Steel Ball Run did that better. 
Counter-argument, Maxi. So, okay, other, other things I think make Janine more interesting than Johnny. More than I think, she's named after a Dolly Parton song, which is like, you've got to go in strong. Johnny Joestar, it's just, you know, it's part one Jonathan Joestar, but put into a Western setting, which is fine. It's really valid. I think it lacks that strong musical connection that I really love seeing in all of JoJo as someone who's pretty much just insane for music all the time. Um... <sighs> Also, when it comes down to it, if any of you have played Street Fighter 4, not that I'm struggling for material here, but like, you know, you <laughs> steal go for this. You steal from the best. And when Capcom needed to introduce a new villainous character, they went and said, oh yeah, she'll just be this sort of weird villainous flexible lady. But visually, we're just going to literally make her Jolene Kujo because she's the best Jojo. We could make her look like Jonathan Joestar. That would be a little bit weird because she's a flexible woman in a villain role in a Street Fighter game. And that isn't Jonathan Joestar. Um, but no, they, they stole from the best. They went for Araki's best Jojo creation. Not necessarily the best character, but certainly the best lead. And that's cool. All right. Card your argument, what we lord? Is this the final kind of argument then? It's your final okay. kind of argument, then you have closing arguments. Um, okay, let's see here. So, uh, I feel that what Johnny kind of does better in some ways is like... I feel that whole kind of overreaching plotline with Johnny kind of developing is about better than what Jolene did. And yes, Jolene has been referenced in Street Fighter and stuff like that. But kind of Street Fighter is taken from a lot of other different popular culture stuff and several things in JoJo. So I'm not sure if necessarily Jolene can be reflected as best JoJo because of that. Well, if Stroheim were a JoJo, we'd have a different story here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, um, yeah. I don't really have any other counter-arguments to make. <laughs> then let's move on to our closing arguments. Maxi. Okay, I feel like Jolene embodies the best things about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. She's a strong musical reference. She's an interesting and significantly different character from those who came before. She has a power that involves her actual self, her her body more than anything, which is always a plus when it comes to stands in Jojo. Um, she's intelligent without necessarily having that in a traditional sense. She certainly lacks common sense, which is the, the running theme of every single Jojo. Uh, and just, she's not necessarily combat efficient like her her stand isn't the best at punching it which is the usual go-to for a joe star stand but it is good at several other things it's it's string it's it's bondage i didn't want to say it like that but you know it restrains it's it's a stand that can be used in several clever applications whether it's using her own body as a feel for it or just having it explore through areas and and it does so mostly throughout the prison storyline but beyond that it still has significant usage and I love that about it. She's just, she's the quintessential Jojo. Hmm. Closing argument. We Lord. <clears throat> I feel that Johnny represents a Jojo main character at its absolute best. While he was 
an old time, alternate timeline counterpart to Jonathan Joestar. He's taking a very different direction, and I, his overall character arc throughout the entirety of Stillwell Run is amazing, and how it reflects through his experiences with Gyro, the Holy Corpse, and his own stand itself and its development. And he struggles a lot, and you can really sympathize with what is happening to him. He's trying to face adversity, he's trying to get rid of the negative feelings that he's felt all throughout his life and kind of reach a state of zero, a state where he can feel neutral about himself, not necessarily being happy, but he just doesn't want to suffer anymore. And beyond that, I feel that even using his own powers within the series, Johnny uses like his fingernails and all these other weird kind of things that he learns to fight his enemies. And... Yeah, that's all I really have to say. And done. Colton, any facts to check? Uh, well, I don't know. It all it all sounded fine to me. All right. Now, how about your opinion on these two characters and which you thought and who you thought argued the best? <sighs> See, this is this is going to be hard because uh, I haven't read either part actually, so I kind of have to go off. Uh, I kind of have to go on a lot of hearsay, but mm, I don't know. I think if if I if I had to throw in my two cents, you know, as someone who hasn't really read part six or seven, but has seen, you know, a lot about it here and there and has heard a lot about it here and there. If I had to say who I think uh, which Jojo would be the most interesting to me, I would have to go with Jolene. But that's just me personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's who I was leaning towards too. I will. I will say this about both characters: Jolene and Johnny are arguably the two best JoJo's in the entire series. I, in my opinion, and both are incredibly fascinating characters. I think. I w- I think We Lord did a good job of it describing Johnny's character arc. A little more than Maxie delved into it, but Maxie also delved into a lot more things that made Jolene such a unique protagonist as a unique JoJo that made her stand out from the rest of the JoJo's. With her status as the only female JoJo, with how unique her stand power is and how she developed it and how we see her develop it at the beginning of part six, with like also all the fun quirks to her that make her stand out from other JoJo's. And I definitely think that there might be a little bit of favoritism in here because Jolene is also my personal favorite of the JoJo's. But just going on the argument still, I feel that overall Maxi was also just more confident and you know even though he was saying he had to he was stretching in those final uh arguments there, like he still was able to pull together a more coherent and confident argument than I feel you were uh doing towards uh, the end of your run, where you were starting to, you know, ramble and, like, uh, draw out to think for time there. So, overall, in terms of who argued the best and who articulated their points the best, I have to say that the winner of this first match of the debate round for Best JoJo is Maxi Barnard! <laughs> Whoa, there you go, Maxi. 
Oh, God, that never happens. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Let's move on to our second match of the debate round. We just argued the best JoJo of all of the JoJo's parts. But for every great hero, there must be a great villain. And JoJo's has a lot of great, iconic, memorable villains. But among them, which do you guys think is the best villain in JoJo's? Maxi, since you won the last match, you begin. It's Yoshikage Kira. It was always going to be Kira. He is possibly the most well-defined character in the entire series, let alone, like, how good he is as an actual villain. I mean, to say nothing of how he's designed after David Bowie, how he gets Queen references for his stand. Like, he's a cat who, like, from the very second he starts appearing in the background, freaks you the heck out. Because, like, you get this idea of just... This very neatly dressed, immaculate, soft-spoken man who just carries around a hand burnt out at the end, like romances the hand. And that's, that's Lynchian. That is an outright David Lynch style, here is a freaky thing. It is, heck, it's seven as well. It's all the best sort of terrifying, creepy killers. It's what you'd find in Twin Peaks or Seven or Zodiac or whatever you want to go for. Like, it's insane. The, the, the overconfidence, the narcissism, the, 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 the actual, the actual, he's an actual sociopath. Like, All right, time if, up. Ah, dang. Relord, your turn. Okay, so the best villain in JoJo is Enrico Pucci from part six. Pucci is probably the best developed villain in any JoJo part. He, sir, he is very much a servant of Dio, like we've seen in many servants before, but he is in a very different direction. Dio actually respected Pucci, and Pucci was more of an equal to Dio than his other subordinates. And they kind of show that in a lot of flashbacks and even in his past, that Pucci is a very rich character, and he has a very rich motivation for what he wants to do. And <clears throat> even beyond that, like, he's not looking to simply revive Dio like any other one of like Dio's minions would want to do. No, he has his own goals, his own ambition of wanting to recreate the universe in his own image, in reflection of his own regrets about his past, about what happened to his sister and his brother. And I'd say I really respect Pucci right, for that. Maxi, your turn. I, I, again, I love Pucci. He's this perfect example of like... The, the Christ figure as villain, but I, I feel like that restricts him a little. As much development as they give him, he's not massively deep as much as he is given an intense amount of set dressing. Whereas I think Kira, through, like despite how simple his beginnings are, as like he's just this guy who wants a quiet life and will kill anyone who gets his way because he is literally a psychopath. Like, as he's developed, as t we get towards the end of the series, and spoilers for the anime, I suppose, seeing as it only just finished part four, but, like, when you get to see the origins of his hand obsessions, of the sort of depravity and mentality of what he's carried with him this whole time, it really just kind of drives home how disgustingly sick he is whilst at the same time being a fascinating character he's he's a car crash mm, phrasing considering but like <laughs> oh, he's God. he's certainly an auto accident <laughs> all right time up v lord your counter argument 
<clears throat> yeah, I see your point, and I, I really love Kira, for the record, but, like, I feel that, I, I want to say, yeah, he's, Poochie's not, like, some super deep complex character, but he's still the best developed villain out of any of the JoJo villains, and I'd say that what Poochie brings to the table that a lot of other villains don't is that kind of somewhat complexity, and that kind of, he wants He's trying to do the own right thing from his own point of view. He wants to create this world that he feels would be better to live in. He's not trying to just do some, like, super villainy thing or try to just, like, take over the world or any of that. He he has a very kind of idea in mind where he, he, ha he means well by it. And yeah, Kira has this whole thing of, yes, wanting to live an ordinary life where he just happens to have the amputated heads of beautiful women. No big deal. Completely right, normal. But yeah. Maxi, counter argument. I, I do love that about Pucci, actually. Um, and I, I, I've got to say, this is the first time I've ever said his name out loud, and all I can think of is the dog from The Simpsons, and I don't want that to undermine <laughs> anything. I know, me too. <laughs> But man, thing is though, he would that would be a great JoJo character, right? Um, <laughs> I, oh god, no. Kikira's sort of the, the fact he's got this strong side. Uh, I, I've got to talk about his stand as well. Like he's one of the iconic stand designs for like to have behind him Killer Queen with a weird stomach compartment, so he can have a stray cat as a um, as a Krang, if you know your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like it's, it's excellent. It, it's modal. It's its final form is kind of uh, a horrifying glimpse of the overcomplication that's to come with part five and six, where the stands do get a little too far gone. But the actual storyline they manage with that evolution of his stand is both like in in theme with what the stand was previously, and just completely mind blowing again puns in like how it happens and is ultimately dealt with. Like it's just right, time up. Ooh. Counter argument, V Lord. I mean, going off if we're talking about the villain stands here, I'd say that Poochie's stand is easily the most impactful in JoJo. I mean, it literally leads to the end of the universe itself. And we, his stand also evolves over time. It starts off as this whole standist thing that it goes into Simu where it literally can control gravity and turn things inside out. And then, we, of course, we have Man in Heaven, which literally has infinite speed and can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with pretty much any character in JoJo. And I'd, I'd say that, like, what his stand... Sure, Killer Queen is a really cool stand. I, I love Killer Queen. But Made in Heaven is pretty much the embodiment of this kind of stand god in a way. Like, it is the ultimate stand. Maybe it might not be, like, in physical power, but it can just wipe out everything. And right, pretty much, it kind of... Counter-argument. Maxi! It, what's kind of a weird thing to think of here, and I don't think it's actually the in, the thing informing the design of Pucci, but when it comes down to this, it's especially with the colour scheme in mind, it's a little bit like Bowie versus Prince, and that's an argument I'm almost... <laughs> I'm almost not willing to make that argument because we're talking two of the most formative musicians in my personal life. And but they like, both yeah. died last year. And they both died last year. Oh, God, they did. Yeah, you're not going to talk ill of them. And I mean, and the thing is, Kira died last year as well. Wait, no. When did the last episode come out? 
It, it came out last year. So. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Kira just died last year. I can't take ill of Kira. He's the best character. Poochie, you know, he, he he's going to die uh, a few years from now, I think. I, I wish I could remember when Stone Ocean was set. Probably 2019, 2020. Yeah, like, it, it's weird how the timescale goes in these. Uh, but yeah, like, we've yet to have Poochie die. We've yet to all cease to exist. I feel like in remembrance of the deceased... We must keep in mind, Kira. That's the worst thing I've ever said as part of an argument. <laughs> okay. Uh, Relord. Okay, that's all well and good, but this is a debate about the manga, not the anime. So no one cares if Kira died of last month. Screw that. It doesn't matter. And if we're going by recency, Poochie died more recently if we're going by the manga. So therefore, Poochie's death should be mourned more than Kira's. All right, all right, settle down. Maxi, closing argument. Yoshikage Kira is the most sinister and interesting villain in the entirety of Jojo. Like, I've gone big or gone home here. He's this stylish and yet entirely chilling person who is capable of accomplishing the most disturbing acts without giving them a second thought. He doesn't have a noble goal. He's just a a self-involved hand lover with an erection or a boner if you read Dwang. And he he holds that close to his heart as he goes about his business, using and abusing everyone around him to just live what he considers a comfortable life. And I think that has a lot of potency. Also, three great hairstyles. That's that's free more than Poochie. His hair's weird. I, w- I will agree on that. That, that, that <laughs> final hairstyle is amazing. All okay, right, so, your closing okay, so, argument. So hold, hold on, hold on. So before we go on to V Lord's closing argument, Maxi, are you sa- are you saying that Kira holds his holds his boner close to his heart? Is that what you're trying to tell us? <laughs> yeah, he he holds his boner and a lady's exploded hand close to his heart. I mean, I thought okay. that was implied pretty heavily. <laughs> okay, just 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 wanted to make sure we got that on. I mean, okay. if you want, if you want to like hang a hat on it, like yeah. <laughs> He dresses it up, wears a little hat, and, like, <laughs> pretend play dates between the severed hand oh, and his boner. Oh, my God. No. no. Like, just no. I'm sorry, guys. This is getting you removed from iTunes. <laughs> Sid, do not animate that. <laughs> He's going to animate that. You can't stop me. But, closing argument. V-Lord. Yoshikaga Kira is a great villain, but Poochie is easily the most interesting and complex villain in JoJo. He is the first time we ever see someone truly be seen as an equal to Dio. He has very, he has noble ambitions that very much he wants to do what he thinks is right, even if it's disagreeing with our own character's beliefs and the whole kind of, it goes against the whole bizarreness of what makes Jojo bizarre. He wants to correct that. But beyond that, we see his stand being such a representation of what he wants, wanting to become a literal god himself, and everything about him, from his regrets to him progressing into his power and his eventual defeat is such an amazing journey to see, and he's such an entertaining villain overall. Hmm. And I think that closes the round. Colton, any facts to check, and what was your opinion on these arguments? Uh... 
No, I, I think we're I think we're good on facts here still. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, that th- this this argument went to a lot of weird places. Um, <laughs> very hard for me to judge. And again, I've been meaning to actually get to part six, but I just I just haven't gotten to it. But I really do want to read it because like it's it's the part that like I feel like most people talk about and the part that most people tell me to read. And I, I'm thinking about just kind of jumping on at some point, but again, I don't have as much knowledge of Poochie, so I, I don't I don't know enough about him to really go against Maxi here. But you know, just 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 finishing part four through the anime, I I do have to say that I am a pretty big fan of Kira. They are both great villains, I will say that. Just like with the best Yoga question, you guys chose both chose like great options. It was pretty close, neck and neck, throughout much of this fight. I felt that Warlord was losing steam a little early on. He was conceding points to Maxi, with uh, him conceding that Poochie wasn't as complex as a character, even though in his initial argument, he did state that. But as the matches went on, Warlord... Uh, it's described Poochie's character motivation and what made him such a fascinating villain uh, a little more consistently and turly, whereas Maxley eventually had to go into the whole David Bowie Prince uh, argu- Prince and then argument when like you can't like uh, t- this Kira because he's dead and then <laughs> that whole nonsense. So it, it was clear Maxie was running out of like things to articulate about Kira after a certain point. Whereas Lord in his closing argument, made some really darn great points about Poochie as a villain and what he represents as a villain. That what he's trying to do is correct the inherent bar- bizarreness of the world of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and what how that makes him such a fascinating and like perfect kind of end boss to the original timeline. But Sid, Kira's the best villain because he's dead. That, that I think that's a pretty good argument. <laughs> well, Poochie's no. dead too. And like we and like we Lord said, Poochie technically did die more recently if we're going by the manga. I mean so part go. six takes place in twenty fifteen. Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. So he died so Really? Like, even chronologically it take it t- he died like five years ago. Five, six years ago. Yeah. So but Based on who argued the character, the, their respective characters better, and gave the most consistent and compelling argument, I have to give this match to Relor GTZ. Hinjaku, Hinjaku. Okay, that's kind of surprising to me since Yoshikan Kira is actually my favorite villain. Oh, oh, what a twist! I, I'd written off Pucci as a possibility, but like the more that I was hearing about him, I was like, yeah, no, Pucci was. Sick, he was great. Like, my backup was going to be Funny Valentine, so like, I'm real glad Poochie was picked over the other one. That was, oh, what a choice. Funny Valentine's awful, kids. Just don't. What? <laughs> what? Funny Valentine is patriotic. He wants Jesus's corpse for America. You unpatriotic Brit. He, sure, he's the American dream. Our president, <laughs> the almighty Sonny Valentine, he died for our country, and you remember it. Sure, he almost raped Lucy Steele, but we'll forget about that. Yeah, oh, just like we forgot about Donald Trump raping that. Yeah, that, that, oh, that, that, that's, oh, oh, my, oh, that's my a God. terrifying parallel. 
Yeah. But not just yeah. that, but like <laughs> So basically what you're saying is if if Donald Trump like takes takes Jesus in and becomes like tall and thin. Donald Trump is going to become a real life funny Valentine. He's gonna go after the corpse parts. He's gonna go after Jesus' corpse and try to I mean Donald Trump's in Baki, the grapplers. So. It, if Donald Trump turns tall and thin, I'm just leaving I'm leaving this world. I can't deal with oh that. Oh my god. <laughs> It, you know what? It's it's okay. Ma- Maxie's from Maxie's fr- from the UK. He he wouldn't understand. <laughs> uh, it, it's the worst disability in the world, be- being English. We, we have to we have to deal so with the Tories. So is Gyro, and he so is Gyro, and he was you know he has better teeth than me though. So you know, yeah. But Gyro was awesome. Anyway, anyway, yeah. <laughs> that was all terrible. So. We got down our best JoJo and best villain, but as I'm sure a lot of people, every JoJo's fan ever, has always debated, has always contemplated, what, gentlemen, is the best stand in JoJo? The best power? We Lord, since you won the last match, you go first. Okay, so I had a lot of deliberation about this. I wasn't sure what to pick for best stand, because I love... So many of the stands, but I eventually picked one that I think is kind of hard to really classify solely the stand, but Foo Fighters, I yes. feel, is the best stand in JoJo. Foo Fighters is a coalition of plankton that kind of uses water powers and can take over bodies and heal people, so it kind of serves as a healer in Stone Ocean. But what makes it so great is not its powers, but the fact that it has a legitimate personality. Foo Fighters is a character within Stone Ocean. It is a companion to Jolene, and it becomes this kind of funny, happy-go-lucky character within the actual cast of JoJo. And so interesting to see this, because we've seen stands that had talked before, but they never got into the point where they had a legitimate personality and literally became kind of part of the team. Maxi. What is your choice for best stand? Once again, I remind people I can't pronounce words very well because I'm having to argue for a stand that belongs to a character from Vento Wario. Uh, sex Pistols. And it, it's not as intricate or fancy as Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters is an amazing choice. Sex Pistols, however, is is bullets. <laughs> it's a gun. <laughs> and it, it's so excellent. It's such a peculiar Iraqi creation because it's the, these little gremlins that empower bullets. The number four isn't featured there, which is uh, because of the Japanese superstition relating to uh, how one way of saying four is related to death, uh, which is so bizarre because it's in Italy. There's no reason for that superstition to be there. <laughs> like, they, they, they have... They have these little personalities. They demand food or they don't, like, do their job properly. Like, it it takes the potential of stuff like Whole Horse, where it's like, oh, yeah, he's got a gun, and turns it into something excellent by adding that that perfect little twist that made everything from part five just so completely freakish. All right, time up. Feelorn, counter-argument. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. Sex Pistols is a very cool stand. I, I really like Sex Pistols. But I guess they have the bullets have their own personalities, but it's nothing compared to what Foo Fighters had. And I feel like Sex Pistols was kind of a prototype to the personality that Iraqi would eventually integrate into stands within part six with Foo Fighters. And with Foo Fighters we have like 
all these interesting things I can do. Like, we had never seen, like, uh, or even thought of, like, the fact that maybe a Stan can be this character. And yes, kind of Sex Pistols does kind of introduce that concept, but Foo Fighters refines it to the point where it's amazing. And when you get to the point in the story where Foo Fighters is at its lowest points, you feel sad. You're bawling. You're just so attached to this stand, which are supposed to be just these inanimate, like, spirits of your characters. But no, it's kind of a character. All right, time up. Counter-argument, Maxi. The part where I feel like Foo Fighters kind of falls apart is that they are simply a character. It's the same sort of reason why I didn't really dig uh, Rubber Soul, I, I believe it was. The, the one that was like gum wrapped around someone. That oh, Sorry, carnivorous gum, that's important. Like it, It's all very interesting having a stand that's absolutely brilliant and involves basically going here as a person. Their stand is part of them, or in this case, the stand is them. But it means you don't get that interesting duality where a character really interacts with their stand because Foo Fighters is their stand. This is admittedly balanced out by like how well other characters bounce off of Foo Fighters and how good Foo Fighters is as a character. But it's still that thing that falls kind of short, whereas I really loved how Guido actually had proper interactions with uh, the little bullets and like ascribe personalities to them. Like you can literally probably fit four of the six into like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. They're that significantly defined despite just being, you can stand, do bullet stuff. All right, time up. Counter argument, Relord. I mean, sure. Yeah. Foo Fighters is missing that kind of whole kind of communication kind of back and forth between user and stand, but I feel that's balanced out by the fact that Part 6 just has such a solid cast, and the general interaction between everyone in the cast kind of makes up for the fact that Foo Fighters is just a stand alone, and Foo Fighters' character is just so strong that even though that whole interaction between user and stand is gone, I don't really miss it. Because Foo Fighters very much stands on its own. It very much is, like, kind of, it doesn't need that whole interaction, which I feel a lot of stands we wouldn't like as much without that user-stand interaction. But Foo Fighters isn't bound by that. Foo Fighters is its own thing. It's independent from a user. It doesn't need that interaction to really feel kind of like an interesting, fun stand. All right. Counter-argument. Maxi. It, it's really hard to argue against Foo Fighters. There's so much in their corner. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I've handicapped myself by taking something from part five, traditionally the, the overcomplicated sort of area where you get a lot of stands where they should be simple but become convoluted. But in that own way, that's a strength for Sex Pistols, that during one of the most awkward periods of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure's life, there was this really concise, simple idea of it's a bullets and they just applied every little twist and turn necessary to make it like a a true jojo stand which isn't to downplay the power of like going plankton uh i think it's plankton for food fires yeah yeah sure but like but it's just really interesting in its time period how they made sex pistols work and also like I, I don't want to do the music fight here because when it comes down to it, this becomes the UK versus America and I'm outnumbered <laughs> here. <laughs> that and when it comes to like unfortunate things, the, the band Foo Fighters, I think, come out a lot better than Sex Pistols and they're really 
dark and sad history. All right, Tyba. Also, you know, foof. Ah, poop. Okay, yeah. But I, I agree that Part 5 did a lot of interesting things, and Sex Pistols is an interesting stand. But while Part 5 is very experimental, a lot of its ideas didn't really work. And Part 6 kind of refined everything. And I'd feel the whole concept of the stands and the personality stands was done so much better in Part 6 because of Part 5. And while Part 5 did start the whole kind of personality trend, Part 6 refined it to the point where we have Foo Fighters, and Foo Fighters is just so great of a stand. And, like, I'm not really familiar with Sex Pistols at all, to be honest, but Foo (laughs) Fighters is a great band. (laughs) And, yeah. Hmm. Counter-argument, Maxi. I, I think the main thing here is is what comes next from them. The Foo Fighters, they're still around, they're still doing stuff. From the Sex Pistols, after they stopped existing, we got Public Image Limited, one of the greatest things in British punk. And sorry, I've gone into a different argument here. <laughs> Genuinely, there's not much I can say against Foo Fighters, and that's what's giving me the most trouble here. Uh, I, I, I think that the only thing I can really say is just that Mmm, mmm, it's hard. It, it's actually almost impossible to argue against this because Foo Fighters is a brilliant stand. And when it comes down to it, a lot of this is just my personal love of Sex Pistols as a stand and as, you know, Mr. as a character. Uh, particularly when it comes to the video games, uh, I, I have the, the PS4 JoJo game and I just adore playing as him there. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's just as simple as just having a favorite and really holding on to them and taking them into an argument and realizing you didn't actually have enough things to say to have it last in the argument. <laughs> All right. Mm. Closing argument, the <laughs> Foo Fighters did something that no other stand had ever done up to that point, and it had an established personality as a character. And th- this was so impactful because we had seen these personalities before with Part Four's Echoes, Part Five's Sex Pistols, but Part Six took it to a new height, establishing a character, making us feel. For a stand, which we had previously just thought of as just these weapons. And you can really feel this when Foo Fighters eventually perishes. And it says, don't try to bring me back. It'll just be another Foo Fighters. Because Foo Fighters is so unique. It is so different from everything that came before it. And that's why it's the best stand. Alright, closing argument. Maxi. Sex Pistols did something that no other stand had done before it, and was bullets, which no other stand had done. You had a stand that was a gun, but that just fired bullets. That's not the same thing. That's significantly different in a very minor way. And I, I feel like the thing Sex Pistols has going for it is, is it, it does just take these very, this very simple concept, this sort of thing that had previously been tried by Iraqi before, and does refine it into something that works. It, it takes Whole Horse's gun stand and makes it into something more interesting by making it the bullets, or rather these guys that ride the bullets in a sort of a... Oh god, what's that Peter Seller films? How, how I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Uh, it's, it's got a shorter name at the start of it. But like, it, it has them right like that, sort of cowboy hat in the air, sort of awesome way. And like it also, it takes Echoes Act Three, who is one of the most regretful characterized like characters in the entire series, because it's a sort of really offensive representation of how uh, hip hop performers would talk and act, or I suppose hip hop fans. Right. And like, and and takes it and breaks it down into smaller pieces. And I've gone over time. Poop. 
Why do I not swear at the end of my arguments? I, I, I swear throughout almost everything else I say, but when I'm out of time, I just say poop. <laughs> you can't go wrong with poop. Yeah. I really yes. loves that poop. Yeah. Do- Dr. Slump taught me that poop is good. And, uh, yeah. Kakio and fed poop to Bet-13. Bet uh, and Jean- yeah, Jean-Pierre Polnareff just Does doesn't like poop. the baby have a babe? Uh, I don't think I don't know. Oh, I, I, def- I think the baby, baby. Ha- Manish baby. I think, yeah, I, M- Manish, Manish boy. boy. Oh yeah, no, it's named after the uh, the muddy waters song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh okay. Anyway, that's the arguments. Colton, any facts to check? And what was your opinion on these arguments? Well, uh, I think I, I first off, I do want to correct Maxi on one thing that. Uh, that rubber soul is the is the name of of the character with the stand uh, yellow temperance. Yeah, because I I forgot that at that point in the story, uh, all the stands were just uh, 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 the tarot cards or or whatever the tarot yeah. cards. Yeah, which to be fair, kind of really gets across my point that like that was really interchangeable because the stand was just unremarkable but I, I feel like that was a slight against Foo Fighters because the, the thing is right is Foo Fighters probably is the best stand <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I I generally feel like uh Maxie's argument was a was a little all over the place um yeah no I I, I lost steam as soon as it was Foo Fighters like I don't know if you guys heard me say yes but I got excited because I like Foo Fighters yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I heard that and I was like well <laughs> To be honest, I felt like I was cheating by using Foo Fighters. I I have to say, uh, yes, I think that, you know, Maxi's argument was over the place, but he also pretty much conceded that Foo Fighters, it was hard to argue against Foo Fighters, and yeah, Foo no, Fighters I, is I, such a great I stand. I don't expect to have won this because I've decided that Foo Fighters is the best stand. <laughs> so, and we Lord articulated why Foo Fighters was such a I mean, I would have liked if he had articulated why Foo Fighters as a stand was so good, but as a character, he did it so well that it was enough to, you know, sell me on Foo Fighters. And while Maxie made some good good points on Sex Pistols, ultimately, you weren't able to build on your argument enough to co- compete with Wee Lord's arguments for Foo Fighters, and you also just went o- over the place and conceded to a lot of these oh, points yeah, no. on Foo like, Fighters. I literally so, had the realization I had no wind to keep going there. Like, I- I'm happy yeah. to have lost. <laughs> so, yes, the winner of round three, Best Stand in JoJo, is Wee Lord GTZ. I will say, though, I was a little disappointed as far as part five stands you guys could have chosen. Um, Zipperman, Bucciletti stand, that's one of my favorites. And also, Metallica, come on. I love Metallica, but I couldn't think of a good argument that would last like long enough for me to actually say how much I love it. It turns it turns the iron in your blood again and it can pierces you from the inside out. It's, Still, how how long can you stretch out that argument? I don't know, but you can just like <laughs> Metallica's but, but the but fight with Metallica's so cool, but it's probably my favorite part of part five, but I just can't argue it being the best stand. 
I was really tempted to go with uh, King Crimson, but I had the problem of I would have <laughs> I would have to explain King Crimson and oh, the yeah. other thing. See, how does no, King Crimson work? No. I don't know how King Crimson works. How does it work? It just how do you, does. How it do you erase does. time? How do you erase time? You can't erase time. But the thing is, the time isn't erased because Diavolo still gets to exist through that time, kind of. So like. But the important it's thing not erase time, it's skip time. Diavolo yeah. can see what happens in the skip time, and but only he can move through so it. The, the way that King Crimson actually works is when a manga is cancelled, the final chapter <laughs> tends to do a time skip and show what could have happened later on in the series. And that would have been my argument. It's just talking about the King Crimson effect instead of actually King Crimson. See, see now, see now. If I were arguing this point, I would have just picked Echoes Act Three just because of that one time he said, um, "Let's kill Daho in English." <laughs> and that, and that was my argument as to why he's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now you guys have been really. In a real, you guys have been in an intense battle for three whole rounds now. I have to commend you for keeping your stamina up. But going into round four, you're gonna have another really tough fight on your hands because we're arguing best fight in JoJo. Relord, since you won round three, you get to go first. Okay, so the best fight in all of JoJo is the final fight between Jolene's team and Enrico Pucci at the end of Stone Ocean. This fight has the highest stakes of any fight in JoJo, as the entire universe is up in the air. And even beyond that, it is just so insane. It goes from a gravity warp Kennedy Space Center to the middle of the ocean, and once Pucci gets made in heaven, every single second... That they that Jolene's team makes matters because Pucci's just going so fast that any mistake that they make will just completely wipe them out. And we kind of see the whole effects of this where they kind of just get slaughtered in the end. And it all ends up being that Pucci kind of wins. Which really we never had seen before. And it's so amazing all right, time how... Up. Maxi, what is your pick for the best fight in JoJo? The best fights in JoJo are rarely what you'd actually term fights. They're, they're conflicts between characters. And they're almost always the ones where the bad guys get a victory. My favorite fight is the fight between Shigechi and Kira. It's this horrible, heart-wrenching, tense battle that doesn't actually involve a straightforward fight at any real point, at least not in the terms of how Jojo usually represents these things. Instead, it's about someone who's accidentally stumbled on the biggest secret in that part of Jojo, trying his hardest to both relay that information and to deal with this, like, strange man who's causing him problems, who then also, uh, like, blows him up into, into nothing. His, his soul is destroyed. He no longer gets to exist. Like, hmm. it's just... It, it's a, oh, are you continuing, Maxi? No, I, I was still going, yeah, if I still have time. Yeah, you still have time. Oh, yeah, no, I, I want to actually 
give this some context. Like, just through the simple, like, habit of what starts off the story of just two sandwich bags getting mixed up, where one sandwich bag happens to have an actual disembodied hand in it, and how that leads to, like, a a chase across a school campus and that, where no one else can really see the terms of what's going on, and, like, ends with the, the smallest clue given to the rest of the crew as he dies. Like, just the fact that he was there. It's absolutely heart-wrenching, destroying, and it's... It All makes, right. frankly, some of the best comics and best television I've ever seen. Alright. Counter-argument. Lord. I mean, my, my whole problem with that fight is the fact that it's so brief. And, like, it's not much of a fight. Kira just kind of goes in there and murders Shijechi. And to be fair, who gives a crap about Shijechi? Unless you're a Rocky, yeah, Rocky, for God knows why, <laughs> he, he cares about Shijechi, and Namco Bandai probably cares about him too, since they include him in the games. But anyways, no one cares about Shijechi besides them. He is a useless character who barely appeared, so his death really didn't have that much impact emotionally. In the final fight of Stone Ocean between Pucci. The, pretty much the entire main cast gets murdered. The, everyone you know and love is God. It's besides Emporio. But everyone else is God, never coming back. That has way more emotional impact than Shijechi dying will ever have. Maxi, your counter-argument. I don't think the scale of an event determines the emotional impact, nor does the likability of the characters, because this takes... A charismatic villain, but an unlikable villain nonetheless, and a completely unlikable side character, and still managed to create one of the most intimate conflicts in the story. Uh, one of the, one of the simplest even. Just that between, <laughs> like, it was a button, it was a fucking button he left behind. Sorry. Uh, just like this one between an, an absolutely terrifying villain and an a, an imbecile, a, a complete idiot, a simpleton, someone who I'm pretty sure was created to actually be a perhaps offensive representation of someone who has some form of mental retardation. Like, that's what Shigechi is. And that's, in the actual clinical term, I'm not trying to be a bad person here. And like, what, what's done with that? The fact you end up caring because you want him to make it to people, you want him to survive rather than have this completely pitiful death at the hands of a much stronger opponent who he's only managing to like outdo by sheer luck and happenstance by the time it comes All to right, the end. Time up. Relord, counter argument. This might make me sound like a terrible person, but I wanted Shijechi to die. <laughs> I mean, I've 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 heard other people with the same sentiment. So. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, yeah, sure, it's an unlikable villain going up against an un- unlikable guy. But at the same time, where's the action in the fight? There's not much action. Harvest goes in there, Killer Queen blows it up and blows up Shijechi, and that that's kind of it. There's no real tension. Okay, there's tension, but there's no real action to the tension. There's no build-up to that tension, I feel. With this fight, the, like my the final fight of Stone Ocean, it has tons of tension, tons of build-up. It's a very long fight. And it keeps going back and forth. Every time you think maybe Jolene's gonna die, maybe Pooch is gonna die, something comes in, like Jotaro coming in badassly on, like, the pole of, like, a stop sign, I think it was, with Hermes, or Poochie awakening made in heaven, or Jotaro sacrificing himself. It, 
It has all these amazing, exciting turnabout moments that that fight between Kira and Shijechi just doesn't have. And yes, stakes don't necessarily matter, but when the stakes actually give you an emotional impact and kind of raise your adrenaline, raise your excitement in their fight, that matters. Right, I don't feel up. that... Maxi, counter-argument. I find the thing is that, you know, despite the power it has by having these large moments and how long the fight runs in comparison to my choice, uh, it's also exhausting. In In filmic terms, this would be the difference between... A, a short film that provides a, a thriller with an absolutely miserable ending to that of the latest Cape film. You might love watching the Cape film. You might douse yourself in popcorn and oil yourself up ready for the next one that gets teased at the end. But ultimately, it doesn't necessarily carry that same satisfaction that you get from watching something that's short, bittersweet, and just gives you the willies from toe to tip, like just actually disturbs you. And I, I feel like that's what really works for me about Shigechi versus Kira. Like it it just hits that dark beat so perfectly. It's it's in the tradition of all the, the darkest turns in Jojo and yet it's so small and seemingly inconsequential despite the fact that it's the the turning point that really focuses the story on dealing with Kira finding Kira even. Like just actually starting the real storyline of part four off despite it it having sat in the background for so long. All right. And that has its worth. Time up. V-Lord, counter-argument. I mean, a short film isn't necessarily good if it's not really investing you at all. And this is the thing with I have with Shijechi versus Kira, is that it doesn't really feel like a f- exciting or an adrenaline or any sort of thing investing to fight. Like, the stag beetle fight from Part 8 is more exciting than this fight. And, like, sure, it's a good build-up for Kira, but we see so many better fights with Kira later on in Part 4. Like, I I wouldn't even consider this on my radar for a great fight in Part 4, to be honest. Because, sure, fights don't have to be straight up, like, punching each other or anything. But I still feel I should feel invested in this situation when it's a character that I just don't care about fighting sure like one of the best ones ever but it's still not that interesting in the Poochie versus Team Jolene fight you have all these characters that you love fighting each other to the death Maxi counter argument this ultimately comes down to tastes like I, I, I feel like there's a lot to go and give to that final arc of Stone Ocean, but it also, it comes on the end of so many longer and longer, increasingly difficult storylines to get through, despite the absolutely clear quality in them. And like, that, that's, it's kind of the problem. It's the excesses of Raki and it's the action side of Jojo. And that's not really what I come to the series for. I come for the twisted, the dark, the, the bizarre. It's in the name. And it is a bizarre conflict. It's, it's got that sort of serious humor that series like Bakuman highlight when talking about manga. The idea that you can present something that is an absolutely dark and serious situation, and yet because it is that serious, and because the characters are who they are and how they are, it's got this weird thing where you're you're almost laughing along. And that's by investment is the fact that it it gives you it gives you a small 
petite little Jojo experience and really sells it. It, it may not invest you. I mean, clear, clearly you like the action. I like the smaller moments. And that's what makes this argument so different, like difficult. They're two sides of Jojo's coin. Right, time up. And whichever side you fall on is just the side you like more. Sorry. All right. Closing our argument. We Lord. I mean, uh, going just going quickly off that, I, I agree that there's very different sides to what makes a great fight in JoJo. Personally, I really do like the whole bizarre aspects of JoJo. And my favorite fights are, in JoJo aren't necessarily based off them being physical fights or anything. But I feel in the Team Jolene versus Pucci fight, it is bizarre. It is strange. It is stakes that are unmatched in any other fight past or future from that point. And it's just so impactful. It's so emotionally investing. See all these characters struggle. See their sacrifices. And then see at the end, Emporial finally delivering that final blow to Pucci with his own brother's stand. And you can just feel all the satisfaction seeing Pucci die. And sure, you see all the sacrifice. But at the end of the day, the sacrifice finally led to a result. And I feel that with the, <clears throat> with Shijechi versus Kira, that really isn't there within that fight. That doesn't happen until much later in Part 4. You don't get that satisfaction right away. It's very much a build-up fight. All right, time up. Part 6, his final fight isn't. Maxi, your closing argument. The power of the Shigechi versus Kira fight is absolutely in how it is a build-up fight that comes later. It's one of those sort of key fights you often get in a JoJo series where you do lose a character or, as it often turns out, temporarily lose a character as a way of pushing the plot towards where it needs to be, whereas it would usually kind of center on these sort of episodic tales as is JoJo's want. And that's really good. And I, I love how Sasha manages to go and like really deliver on everything the series had before in its final conflict, especially in like that big finale of using the brother's stand. It's, it's utterly fantastic. I just don't feel like it makes me care enough. It, it's not helps that the characters involved there, like Emporio, just aren't super interesting to me. But I, I think it's just the, the matter of fact that I just, I, I love these I, I love the I love the dark small. I, I I can't turn that into anything perverse, weird, or funny. I think it's just when it comes to JoJo, this is this prime example of how I just want stuff to go and involve terrible characters doing terrible things to characters who are also quite bad, depending right. on how you want to define terrible and bad. Time up. And that's the arguments, Colton. Any facts to check? And what was your opinion on these arguments? Uh, no facts to check, but I, I do want to put in my two cents uh, on the argument here that um, that I I really I I feel like I wouldn't call the fight between Shigechi and Kira a fight. I feel like I would categorize it as more of a confrontation, but I don't know if that's just me arguing semantics. Um, but I I will say that personally, um, again as a I, I'm I'm really I'm really glad I'm not a, a, contest, a contestant on this uh, on this fight because I've I've seen mostly the anime. I really haven't read a lot of the manga, unfortunately. But uh, from the anime side of things, I do want to say that I felt like the uh, I felt like that confrontation between the two of them was done excellently. I felt like there was a lot of a lot of tension in that moment, and I. I, I was I was uh, really looking forward to like I like I liked seeing how that progressed uh, week to week 
um, as I do with really all of JoJo's. I think that's just how I prefer to consume it personally. But um, I don't know if I'd be willing to give the give the round to Maxi. But I do want to say that I do agree with this choice and that I, I very much like that confrontation as well. A lot of tension there. These were very interesting arguments. Maxi, you chose a really untraditional choice. But I have to say you really argued it well. Lord, you chose a pretty integral choice. You chose pretty much the climax to part six, which was the climax to the entire first universe timeline. And there is a lot going on in that fight. As you said, there's a lot of characters involved and there's a lot of action. It is a pretty epic fight, but ultimately, strangely enough, I feel that you didn't argue a whole lot of specifics. I feel that you kept repeating the same kind of things. That this fight was so big in scale. That this fight, you know, involved all these characters we were emotionally invested in. And while those things were true, that seemed to be the only things you were able to really say about it. In contrast, Maxi chose an untraditional fight, a fight that some, like Colton, would not classify as a fight, but a confrontation. But he not only argued, was able to argue it consistently and with so many different facets in each of his character argument and why he really enjoyed that fight, but he also tied it into something that I thought was important. And it's like how that fight represents some of the best aspects of JoJo's. Maxi argued how Shigechi versus Kira reflected JoJo's darker, more strange, and most importantly, the more bizarre sensibilities. V-Lord, you also piggybacked off of that and briefly went into uh, the bizarre aspects of your fight, but you still didn't really do that many specifics and you didn't really elaborate on those points, eventually just going back into the same kind of things you had been saying before. Maxi, on the other hand, you consistently kept developing your argument for Shijeji versus Kira and ultimately you guys both brought up points that you weren't invested in the each other's characters necessarily we lord you said that you didn't care for jejechi versus kira because you didn't care about jejechi maxi you said you didn't you weren't really into the final fight just because you didn't care about some of the characters like emporio and but that's all subjective Things Like, different people will relate to different characters. I know Shijechi, generally in the fandom, uh, is not one of the most popular characters. I, myself, am not in that fond of him, necessarily. Shijechi sucks. He, he sucks. But, he's, he's awful. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 with Maxi was able to communicate how in that fight, how in this fight between awful people... You really did feel the desperation in there, and you did feel for Shijechi's plight and for his fi- final moments when Kira in the work here, when he sees Kira in the window and he screams, well, Maxi didn't argue this, I uh, mentioned this moment specifically, but when he screams, Josuke! and explodes. Like, Maxi communicated that, you communicated like how, even though how short that fight is, how emotionally investing it was, even though you might you ne- might not necessarily have been into the characters very deeply yet. I mean, you had only just met Kira 
at that point too. So you weren't not necessarily super attached to but him. Pure as love at first but sight. You, but that fight. <laughs> but that fight. But that fight really got you into care. You got to see this guy is bad news. This guy is a threat. And Maxi argued that point really well as well. So this is a very untraditional choice. I was not expecting this choice to be argued, and personally, this wouldn't be, I wouldn't consider this one of my favorite fights by any stretch, and not even just part for itself, but based on the arguments and based how well Maxi argued this, I am giving this round best fight to JoJo, to Shijechi versus Kira, Maxi wins the round! I, I know it's like really risky to say at this point, seeing as like the next topic coming up is like this, but is anyone else just like, is the main takeaway from this entire episode just going to be that Stone Ocean is bloody amazing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I think that should be the takeaway. Stone Ocean is amazing. When that gets animated in like 2020, it's going to be a real good time. Yeah, I think it will blow a lot of people away. Which is funny, since it is the worst-selling part of JoJo. I know, it was extremely oh, unpopular yeah, well, in Japan. It, it's really, it's it's Stone Ocean's fault that Steel Bull Run doesn't have JoJo in the name, and partially related as to why it had to move to Ultra Jump, as well as the fact that no nobody actually really liked Steel Bull Run when it was in Jump. <laughs> uh, when yeah. it was in Shonen Jump, sorry, crucially. Uh, like, Ultra Jump is where its audience was. Yeah, but the, he he hadn't introduced stands until it moved to Ultra. Well, no, it, it wasn't in the first volume worth of chapters that they like Poco Loco gets his stand. But though. that's not t- called a stand. In fact, it could have been a completely new idea entirely since it isn't didn't really work like how stands worked at first. Oh yeah, that's I would, actually. I good would point. love to know yeah. what Araki's original aims were for for Sandman. Like, there's all sorts of nice little supernatural touches where he could have done. So so much and and it became stands and it's really good stands yeah but man still boron could have been slightly different if it actually did good in weekly shonen jump yes when we had animation revelation we're making our top 30 greatest story arcs in anime and manga list i chose stone ocean as the representative arc of jojo's for that list it's a hell of a choice yeah because i thought stone ocean was the part that represented and encapsulated the best of the series just the best out of between all the other parts and i stick by that choice but i'm not going into specifics about that further because we have round five to do actually before before we move on we should point out that uh we're tied at the moment we are yeah. tied. So round five is going to be pretty important yeah this is hard and <laughs> you guys may have blew your load a bit Having uh, already <laughs> talked about how great part six is, because we're closing off the debate round, round five, arguing which out of the eight parts of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is the absolute best. A question highly debated by everyone in the JoJo's community. Everyone has their own answers, and every person has their own preferences because of how different each jojo part is but gentlemen which do you think is the best the all-time best part of jojo's maxi since you won round four you get to go first despite what i just said uh it's it's diamond is unbreakable 
like 100% this is the I was so glad to see it actually got animated it is the strongest part of Jojo just on the sheer basis of the fact that it it's where the series found its groove which is insane to say because it had already gone through three other complete storylines before it got here but it's where it found that that sort of film film inspired design ethic like characters were usually based on actors or performers it's where it really really pushed into the color aesthetic of just flicking stuff around on the color pages to make no sense to the average reader it's where the musical references really got poured in full scale like you had those in the earlier parts but here it was like character names and stands it's it's running through it as a rich vein it starts to bring further context to part three without being about part three, despite the fact that Jotaro Kujo is right there and Joseph Joestar turns up. Like, it, it really, it builds on it. It gives you the bow and arrow, which is like the, the linchpin that so much of Jojo hangs on is this strange artifact that grants the stand powers. Alright, time up. What, we lord, what is your choice for best part? Yeah, I, I love part four. But the best part of JoJo is Part 7, Steel Ball Run. Yes, it didn't start off as a part of JoJo. It started off as its own thing. But while while it didn't start out, up as inherently JoJo, it became a very untraditional JoJo because of that. We have a, a part where we have kind of a shared protagonist role between Gyro and Johnny, which hadn't really been done before. And even beyond that, I feel this part does a great job of really bringing in new readers to the franchise, but also maintaining the fan base that it had grown for those first six parts. You have all these references and all these throwbacks to the original timeline of JoJo, but it's still presented in a way where a new reader could come in and still love it. And beyond, even beyond this, the story is just amazing. It is probably the best, like, most character-focused of all the parts of JoJo. All right, time and up. Th- mm-hmm. Counter-argument, Maxi. I was very surprised to hear you choose Stillborn Run, and I I absolutely adore Stillborn Run. It, it has the power of having two of the strongest protagonists you can have a series, and that's kind of a weakness of Diamond is Unbreakable. Like, Josuke Higashikata isn't a particularly deep character, but he's still one of the greatest designs. He's he's telling John Travolta as a thug in Japan. Like that's such an intricate thing to do. And yet he's still a good guy. And that I, I love that about him. It makes him interesting for other characters to rotate around, even if ultimately his slight vapidness means that characters like Koichi Hirose and uh and Kashibe Rohan like quickly, quickly become uh, more important characters uh, on an arc by arc basis to say nothing of how. In fact, no, let's say that Rohan Kashibe is in this part. Like no matter what's in Steel Ball Run, this has the most important character in Jojo because it's a weird ego version of Araki who then proceeds to just have episodic one shots over the course of an entire decade that really dive into him he had a special book that got like published as a fine art thing called rohan goes to the louvre All right, is it louvre up. or louvre france i think yeah yeah we've got kind of argument yeah i mean Ro- rohan's great at all but i feel that like stillborn has so many great characters and going back to the whole protagonist thing we have gyro and johnny who were both kind of do these kind of opposites of 
kind of the morality spectrum of sorts, where Gyro is kind of whole motivation is trying to help other people. He's not trying to be kind of selfish. He's very much selfless. And then you have Johnny, who's kind of all selfish. He wants to do all this stuff for himself. And over time, you see how all these elements about their personalities kind of blend together and kind of they kind of transfer over. Johnny becomes a lot more selfless, and Gyro starts to get a lot more personal drive. He starts to gain kind of those selfish tenacities that Johnny gets. So yeah, we don't have like a Rohan Kashibe. Not everything can have a Rohan Kashibe, unfortunately. But we do have these very interesting characters. And beyond that, we have the supporting cast, which I feel is a great supporting cast. We have Lucy Steele, our pretty much Arena for Steel Ball Run. And she is just an amazingly strong female character. I feel right, after part six. Maxi, your counter-argument. I feel like character really is the area you can focus on with Steel Ball Run, mostly because it lacks a lot in significant setting due to its Cannonball Run-style travel across a vast, empty space. Which is... which is, It does so much with that, but it lacks a significantly strong setting. Whereas we get Moriocho, which is like the, the perfect little small... I think it's a town more than a city, so we'll go with town. Like, it, it's this small town with a lot to it that allows them to like, send you down a twisting and turning path that might be a spooky ghost land. And, like, fit every single setting needed for a fight, for a conflict, into this small space, theming it around the idea of being a town, without ever having to, like, do an arse pull and go and say, this town happens to have, I don't know, a, a space station. No, that was a bad example. Like, a, 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 a NASA platform where the rockets come off from. I... I we don't do space shuttles in, in England. I don't know why I chose this as my example. And that's like really great. <laughs> Mario is just an, um, an amazing location, and that really informs the strength of part four. Hey, uh, oh, okay. Me, me Lord, <laughs> counter-argument. I mean, I, I'd say that's kind of going into the more of the contrast between part four and part seven. Part four is much more about establishing this soul kind of setting of Mario and kind of learning this whole town, while part seven is all about establishing this journey, the journey of these characters and seeing how they're progressing and seeing them go through this entire like journey across America. And I feel that kind of does help it kind of get some variety and we see all these different locations and yet we don't get to learn a ton about them. But at the same time, it's interesting seeing these new environments that they have to fight in, all these new environments that they have to look at, like the magic forest where uh, they have to get like the holy corpse from the lake and then just all the cowboy towns, then the ocean, all that stuff. But I feel like I I personally prefer kind of going on that whole character journey because it fits with the whole characterization of our characters as we're kind of traveling through this vast world while also traveling through how our characters are changing over time. All right, time up. And Maxi, counter-argument. I, I feel like this is just like this perfect contrast between it because it's the choice between deeper characters in a less interesting setting and slightly flakier characters in an incredibly fleshed out setting. That actually makes this like the perfect argument we could be having on this manga fight. So I just wanted to appreciate that before I keep yeah. going. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think a, a, just a big thing in its favor as well, is the, the art style running throughout part four. I am not a massive fan of that sort of the, the more Gekiga style 
uh, art we get from part seven onwards, where everything's very sketched and fine art in feel, even when it's kind of wonky and lacking detail. I mean, there's a reason why the dog in part eight's awful, which isn't relevant to part seven. I just wanted to criticize that dog in part eight because I hate it. Hate it so much. Whereas part four kind of has this nice sort of sketchy, stretchy feel where everything's still being learned and refined from what had been like the sloppiness of the first three parts. This is an author who took a decade and a half. Mm, let's call it a decade to reach this point in his art style. And it, it really flows well. It's, it's different to every single other part in significant ways, mostly just through how flexible it is. It's Iraqi learning while still being competent. Right, time up. Done. All right. Counter-argument. Relord. I mean, I feel the our style is very much a preferential thing, but I, I, I definitely agree the part four art style is very good, and it fits its part, but part seven's art style, I also feel, is also great, and it fits its setting. It fits its overall setting. It fits the part itself. And I feel that applies to pretty much all the parts except for part six because the art's kind of messy. But we'll not get into that. Um, but, yeah. I, like, uh, I feel that this is also around... Like, part seven was also around the time where actually... Uh, Araki actually started changing how he was drawing the series. If you, if I recall a few interviews that he actually did with Shoko Todd, that psycho uh, uh, JoJo fan, it's like... He, fo- he was focusing a lot more on driving the characters and the assistants would do, like, 90% of the environments. But, like, uh, for me, like, I feel that art style for Part 7 does so well because it's all about this big, wide journey. And kind of, a lot of time we see a lot more two-page spreads, a lot of more depicting these landscapes of the environment during the fights. And I actually really like that about Part 7 right, time up. in how it's presented. All right, it is time for closing arguments. Maxi, you're first. Part four was just real good, guys. Like everything I said for it here, like it it developed the things that defined JoJo as what it was from parts four through six, and that's that's undeniably important. It ha- it had the art that flowed well. It had some of the best band references. I mean. I mean, they gave Red Hot Chili Peppers power to a weird electric bird, which doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't change how, like, on the button it was as a choice. Like, when Iraqi can tend very much to kind of fall back into classic rock or prog rock, like, it was really interesting to see him try and do a lot of more current references in the early to mid-90s with Part 4. It has this perfectly defined city. It manages to pull characters in from the two previous parts without making them definitively important like for the most part they're actually kind of the most impotent characters in the series in a really weird way and like it it just it accomplishes so much over its uh 18 volume run i think it's more like 17 and a half because the volumes crossed over with part four and five but the there's so much going on. And also the presence of supernatural stuff outside of stands. It's like we don't get to see very often. And both this and Still Ball Run do it. I feel like the Ghost Alley does it that little bit better than the sort of weird supernatural stuff you get early on in Still right, Ball Run. Feel our closing argument. Part 7 did so much to reboot the series. It brought in new people who could get into the series easily, but also helped keep the established fans going. And beyond that, we have a great dual protagonist within this part, and a great supporting cast, great characters like 
hot pants and Diego and insane, so many insane things happen. We have the holy corpse and dinosaurs and all this just insane stuff that we love from JoJo embraces all these different elements of JoJo that have been established through these first six parts and kind of all fit them together into this wonderful setting about a journey, about our characters, about how they change, about how they develop, about everything they go through. And when you reach the end point of its 24-volume run, you feel satisfied, you feel stunned, and you love it. All right. And those were the arguments. Colton, facts to check, and your opinions, please. Uh, no facts to check, at least not that uh, not that I caught. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, this is... Yeah, like, I do just want to... You just want to put out there this is definitely a matter of opinion it's uh nothing being said here is objective like i i have seen i've witnessed people arguing what the best parts in jojo are and it's torn families apart guys i mean like this is a very deadly <laughs> conversation to have um trust tr- yeah, well, trust well, me as as some well jojo is all about family yes yeah as, as someone who loves part one i i can i can definitely tell you it's a it's a very hard conversation to have with a lot of people uh stone <laughs> uh, mike um but i don't know yeah i i i feel like I feel like from the arguments I'm hearing about part seven, and I just, I do just want to preface that part seven is probably the part, aside from Stone Ocean, that people always talk about. And I like, I've never heard anything bad about part seven, never. But I, I, I do have to say that I kind of have to agree with Maxi when he mentions how, uh, while part four may not have, you know, the best characters, Certainly, I think some of them are a little underdeveloped, especially Josuke, as much as I do like Josuke. Um, I do think that Morio is just such a great setting. It, like, it's it's just so full of life and personality. Like, uh, as soon as the anime ended, like, I, I, I missed Morio. I wanted to go back. I want, I want to, I just want to be in Morio more. I just want more of Morio. That's all I want. You can replace all the Part Force cast. I just want Morio back. <laughs> <laughs> and we get Morio in part eight, though it's very different. Yeah, that's I guess that's true. <laughs> okay, that's a very valid point, and both of you argue this the, your arguments extremely well. I'm very happy that neither of you went for the uh, the kind of cheap route and just chose Stone Ocean since we had talked about how great that was already. Uh, so it was really good. You. Both shows really, really great parts, and you had a lot of great arguments for them both. Maxi, you did a great job arguing why Morio is such a great setting, and how fun the part is. But, I didn't feel there was a whole lot more to your argument outside of those points. And I feel that you also admitted that the characters are a lot shallower in comparison to part 7. Whereas we Lord, you while Maxi did make good points about how Morio is a much more colorful and engaging setting than mo- than the environments of Part Seven, you described how interesting the deuteragonists of Johnny and Gyro are as a pair, and how unique that is within the context of JoJo's as a whole to have two main characters 
for an entire part. And you also went on to describe how the setting fit into the team and uh, the concept of Part 7 really well. You also described how Part 7 was able to hook in new readers by doing this reboot. And also how it mixed basically everything from the best of the previous parts of JoJo's and combined him and refined him into this one singular long epic journey of a story. This was a very tough call because you both made really good arguments and these are both really strong parts. But I felt overall V-Lord meant, V-Lord was able to argue the most things about why part seven was so great and was able to articulate why they were so great just a little bit stronger than Maxi was. So ultimately I have to give the winner of Round five and the overall winner of the debate round to VLord GTZ. Yes, I am. Yay. Yay. Well, and I, I would not have expected Steel Ball Run to be argued for, and that was done excellently. Mm-hmm, yeah. I have to say, guys, you guys have just been knocking it out of the park with your arguments so far. This has been extremely fun. It's because we're not having to argue against you. You're you're very intimidating, Sid. So like now we're now we're able to to run free. Well, I am the three time manga fights champion. If if I had to debate against Sid, I'd get slaughtered. <laughs> I can't beat him. If it makes you guys feel any better, if I have to debate anybody against anybody, I'd get slaughtered. So did you just have a manga fight where Colton has to like face off against like four or five people? No. no, we have to do that with Josh. Oh yeah, Josh Dunham versus the world. Josh Dunham versus the world. Josh fights <laughs> against everyone Rob Robin style. That, that's pretty much his Twitter account. So <laughs> <laughs> Then he'd be perfect. This is a perfect idea. Let us pencil that in for later. But it's time for the speed round. Now we're doing the speed round a little differently this time. Uh-oh. Before... I had created all the questions that would be asked on Manga Fights. Not this time. This time for the speed round, both our competitors here are going in blind. But not only that, but this time, I didn't create the questions. That's right. Um, (laughs) we are using questions that you, the listeners... Fans from all over the interweb have submitted to us. I have chosen five questions. Five from our fans, listeners, that will be asked to We Lord and Maxi. What are these questions? How does King Crimson find out? And so let us begin. Off mic. We had just talked a lot about jo- music and JoJo's and how JoJo's mu- gets a lot of people into music. So, the first match of the speed round. Gentlemen, what do you think will be the ending team for part five? Yeah, so, like I said off mic, I, I know jack shit about music. So, I, I'd say that for part five, they should choose, like, 
any Prince song. Just any Prince song. Since Gold Experience is a reference to Prince. And yeah, that's my entire argument right there. Alright. Maxi, counter argument. Vento Oreo is set in 2001. What's the most notable song that came out in 2001? It was Alien Ant Farm's cover of Smooth Criminal. And it fits perfectly because they're gangsters, they're criminals, and they have very little body hair. Smooth Criminal. That's the one. <laughs> okay. The Lord. Counter argument. It's going to be hard for me to argue this as I've never listened to Smooth Criminal. What? Whoa. Okay, disqualified. Yeah. <laughs> Finish your argument. Um, but I, I feel that making the ending theme a reference to the actual stands and characters within part five is more fitting. I mean, e- either that or at least making it a reference to something that Iraqi listened to while he was working on part five, like Roundabout and part one. Okay, time up. Maxi, counter argument. I think I've been spoiled by how Savage Garden was used in part four because that was appropriate to the era the story is set in rather than what he was listening to while the series was coming out. And that's why I leaned towards Smooth Criminal. Uh, also for the fact that the Alien Out Farm guy had that weird reverse mohawk and Jojo is all about weird hair. <laughs> all right, V-Lord, closing argument. Um, I mean, for, for one thing, I feel that it also comes out to what Warner Brothers Japan actually has a license to. Because all the songs they've used are ones that they have the license to. So, yeah. I I don't have much to say here. (laughs) Okay, Maxi, closing (laughs) argument. I also have to think on this level. I'm not entirely sure that uh, they can get access to Prince songs. His music is very well guarded. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Whereas Alien Out Farm, they just want some money. Like, they, yeah. they they need to be remembered. No one listens to Alien Out Farm anymore, except for me. And I'm weird. Alright, I'm up. Alright, alright. So... Uh, I, I think I can just say right off, well, we well, were, well, you I had no I argument. Know, I, don't, I don't know, Sid. This was a pretty hard argument on both sides, if I no. do say so <laughs> myself. Lord, you had no argument, you had nothing, Maxi had a chose a great song, and he had an actual argument. Maxi wins the first match of the speed round! Yeah, that question was a death sentence. For me. <laughs> it actually would be a pretty interesting choice for a needy song for part five. I'm not gonna lie, it actually fits. The, they are the, gang members, after all. Yeah? I'll have to listen to that song after this. I, I think the main thing that works against it is that DreamWorks records are the people who released it, and I don't think they would have access to them uh because they're owned by Universal Music Group now, who yeah, uh, yeah, seem yeah. a different company to Warner Brothers. So, you know, shame. This one comes from uh, to us from the last Soul Reaper on Reddit, who asks, "Which is better, the original JoJo's timeline or the SB the Steel Ball Run universe?" All right, uh, Maxi, you go first. It's the original timeline. Who are you kidding? For as much as Steel Ball Run is really good, uh, Jojo Line squanders a lot of the setup by leaping forward in time and kind of being vague to a point of not really living up to the series that it's aping in part four. And that's unfortunate. Original timeline rocks. All right. right. V-Lord, counter-argument. I mean, I I actually really, really like the SBR timeline. 
I mean, it, like I said, like when I was arguing so about Ron, it brought in a brand new kind of entry point where it works for newcomers while also working in for uh, your established fans. And yeah, it jumps around a lot, but it does fill in gaps, and there's nothing stopping Iraqi from filling in more gaps in future parts. All right, time up. Counter argument, Maxi. It's kind of funny. Uh, if Steel Ball Run was the only series set in that timeline, I wouldn't have even questioned that it's a better timeline, despite the fact it loses the uh, the kind of legacy note that really makes JoJo what it is. Part 8 just kind of ruins that for me in a weird way. Despite the fact Part 8 is good, it just... By moving it to a more modern setting, it just kind of lost me in a way that I feel like if they had stayed in a historic setting, they could have really capitalized on, especially in the sense Sorry, of legacy. I mean, I'd say the really good thing that the SBR timeline does, though, is that it's so experimental. Like, we have Steel Ball Run, which was very much an untraditional JoJo because of its origin. But then we have Part 8, which is less of a battle show, battle-like action series and a literal mystery thriller rather than that, in that it's so much about the mystery and takes a lot of these elements from Part 4 that are minor elements and ups them up that to make them the main focus. All right, time up. So I... Uh, Closing argument, Maxi. The original timeline presents you in a world where two meter tall men can have their progeny exist in entirely different settings and yet still have similar adventures involving their strange buff bodies and weird stands. Part 7 gives you one setting and also another one afterwards because I forgot about part 8 when I started saying the sentence. And that's, I've really lost my brain here. Original timeline, crap. All right. I- no, it's good. Closing I argument. mean, crap, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> Okay, so should I go? Yeah, yeah go oh, ahead. okay. Go ahead. Um, the the original timeline is very rich and deep, but the SBR timeline is also in its early stages. But even in its early stages, it has developed some amazing and some probably the best JoJo material in any of the franchise. And it's so experimental; it does so much different with its thrill elements, with its very much more character focused elements too. That it kind of is elevated to the point where I feel that parts 7 and 8 are maybe some of the best parts of JoJo. Okay, and time up. The- okay, okay. Let's see here. Maxie, you made a good point about how the original timeline has so many different settings uh, wherein the generations of JoJo can have very distinct adventures. However, I feel that you didn't quite, you focused too much on, you, in your counter argument against, uh, the SVR universe, your personal dislike for how they moved it into a modern setting in part eight, but I feel like you didn't give enough reasons why that move was a bad thing. Whereas V-Lord, he elaborated on many points on why he thought the SVR universe was such a great universe and what it brought to the table and how it made part seven and eight so unique and distinct themselves and how different it was from the original universe. It's a very tough call, but based on the arguments and based on who presented more information for me to latch onto and who gave the most passion in their arguments, I have to give it to V-Lord. He wins the second match of the speed round. 
That's that's fair. I drown in potential. Like it, it turns out, it's really hard to think of what to focus on when talking about like six distinct parts. And yeah. like, wow, that's what, that's what I realized. Part of like the Poochie fight when I chose that because it's such a long fight. When you're choosing something so big, it's hard to focus on like singular elements within them. Mm-hmm. To be honest, though, I probably do prefer the original timeline right now, simply because SBR is so like in its infancy. Yeah, like, I think the the moment where I think this will change is if Part Nine takes it to like some sort of crazy far sci fi future, and I'll just be like, "Sure, I'm on board for this." Yeah. yeah, I feel I feel like maybe ten years from now would be a better time to make like the original timeline versus SBR timeline argument. But I thought yes. it was a valid question and very interesting one. Yeah, so it, it's hard because I mean, Iraqi's gonna outlive us all, and like, <laughs> who knows how many timelines he'll make. Like, after that, or how many parts of the story. We all know that he's, like, a mix of Yoshikage, Kira, and Dio. He's just living an ordinary life, but in the background, he's just sucking the blood of young women. He's just- he's an immortal vampire who attributes his youthful looks to, I think, water? Yeah, we'll we'll be we'll we'll, we'll all yeah. be dead, and then our our kids' kids are all gonna be reading JoJo, and they're gonna be like, man, this is, this is pretty cool, I guess. Either that or Rocky's, like, does Iraqi have children? I think he has children, right? Actually, I'm not. I don't know. I I, know I he's don't married, think but... he's actually been that. Uh, I don't think he's really been that open about it all. Like, uh, like he he's not necessarily reserved because he appears in public a lot. But I don't think he talks about his personal life as much as a lot of uh, artists who've been around as long as he have tend to. Like, he's he's not as open as Toriyama by a long shot. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But if he has children, maybe he's training them in the background to keep JoJo going. Just, like, gives them old, like, panels of JoJo and tells them to redraw them. Yeah, t- timing them on, like, how fast they could draw one page. <laughs> you, dr- you, re- you drew Jotaro's death scene wrong. Do it another ten times. No, Jotaro's hat is supposed to be fused to his body. <laughs> Who can't make it separate from his body? I am amazed they managed to animate Jotaro's hat at all. Yeah, (laughs) I wasn't sure how they were going to do it when he switched to the white hat in part four, but it kind of worked out. All right, next round. Yes, now we're going to the third match of the speed round. This question comes from us from Beyond the Osite on Reddit, who asked, Who do you think is Jojolian's villain? Kato Higashikata or Jobin Higashikata. V-Lord, you go first. Okay. Personally, I feel it's too early, early to even, like, make this argument, but I'd have to go with Jobin, since Jobin has been established very much as this villain since even before Damo Tamaki had gotten to the fray and he was revealed to be, like, the main villain of the first half. Which, speaking of which, this is kind of going through the same trend as part four where Part of it had a different villain than the other part. All right, so yeah, right, Maxi. Actually, do you know who Kato Higashikata is? Did you get that far? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm Should gonna. Change no, I'm gonna not... This doesn't work. No, I'm ready. He's... I'm ready for this. It's gonna be perfect. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> okay. No. Okay. I'll, I'll. I'll. I'll allow it. Go. It's that really messed up dog, secret third option. Like, genuinely, it doesn't matter what the actual villain is in Jojo Lion. We all had to look at that freakish dog with its non-bending stubby legs and terrifying face. Like, whoever the villain is, that dog is the 
true haunting enemy of Jojo Lion. All right, time up. Okay, an argument. Okay, can you clarify, like, what dog are you referring to? <laughs> oh, did you not remember this dog? Oh my god, this dog was horrifying. It's uh, it's when the oh god, the the girl. I'm really bad with the names. Yashuo. Yeah, yeah, Yashuo. And um, when she ends up like waking up in like a. Uh, a, a, a secret part or a different part of the Higashikata house and like the kids there and the, there's just this dog the kid has and it just looks oh my god it's the worst have you not seen this dog I'll have to look it up again I think I remember it so yeah hold on I'm okay uh, I'm gonna send it into the Skype chat which isn't amazing listening am I still being so timed right now uh, no no you should I'm not, be. I, no I, I let Maxi uh, explain himself a bit Okay. okay. Yeah, not not just that, but I mean, again, I'm I'm very happy to concede the round whenever you feel like. But look at this goddamn dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. This is a pretty valid argument. <laughs> like, oh. I, I wish I was kidding. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in a comic. He looks like a hyena. Oh damn! Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send another picture. It's just how do I not oh. remember this? <laughs> it was like it was. All anyone could talk about when the chapter came out. It was just so completely messed up. Okay, to be fair, I wasn't caught up with JoJo when the chapter came out, so that might be why. But like, like, like this dog is literally looking at the camera, like, "Why doesn't somebody kill me? I'm an abomination." It's like that. Uh, it's like that awful, like uh, that the the baby, like duck hybrid. Monster in that one episode of South Park, uh, who was like, "Kill me, kill me!" <laughs> it's like, it was it was from the Water Die episode, uh, Douche and Dirt from season eight. Oh like, yeah, in the PETA, like when Sam went to the PETA camp, there's this like oh the animal that's being forced to be vegetarian or whatever. No, it's the os- it's like the offspring of this one PETA member and an ostrich. Oh it's like god, horrible, that thing. Horrible, oh, yeah, like, I, I know what mutant. Like, it, it was, that, that, that was a disturbing scene. Yeah. Uh, but, but, okay. but yeah, that, that's um, not, that's not a dog. Yeah. No. Um. It's just, it's something that's been made in Monster Factory. <laughs> like, it is a <laughs> Um, shit, sh- Okay, um, okay, stop. Just, okay, so this, Obviously, this is not uh, a question. Uh, obviously, there's no winner going to be a winner for this match because neither of you could make an argument. Should we just make it a draw, then? No, no, no. There's no draw. There's no draw. Actually, I am going to choose another question okay. that Eon Leosad asked. And and this is not going to be like a debate. This is who can explain this better. And the question he asked is, oh. how does... King Crimson work. Of course. Wigord. Okay, so they explain this actually in the translator notes, like when part five was scanned, but pretty much King Crimson skips time and everything within that period of time, it doesn't happen. So the cause and effect does not happen. And they kind of show this pretty well during the Metallica fight where the San user Metallica, I forget his name, he fires his gun and then he... Diablo activates King Crimson, and the bullet passes through Diablo, but Diablo's not shot, because the everything that was in motion during that five-second period skips forward by five seconds. But all the effects within that time period, which would be Diablo getting shot, does not happen. And this is why Jordan was able to reset 
that to zero. Because if Diablo can't skip time and do those effects, resetting that to zero makes nothing happen. Okay, I think I made a mistake. You sh- I should have just had you explain this in one second so Maxi could have a chance to actually give a, an, a, an opposing explanation that would be competitive. I, I, I can say something else that's interesting about it if you want. That that would be my <laughs> counter-argument. Okay, let's hear it. Because it's, it's the polar opposite of Gold Experience Requiem, which is all of the effect without the cause, which is how he can be uh, eternally beating up uh, Diavolo forever and like killing him because he has to relive the the effect even if the cause has long since happened. So it's like it, it's it's actually it makes him a really interesting uh, hero villain pairing in a similar way to how like uh, Jonathan Joestar and Dio are interesting because they're like because they're opposed through like a family conflict despite not really being related. But you you know you know their deal that's happened. But like. You kind of just get this really weird sort of high concept face off between the ideas of cause without effect and effect without cause. And like that's the linchpin that the end of that part of the story runs on. And that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, so, but I, I messed up. I can't really compare those arguments. Should we just we make this a draw? No, no. We are going to. You are. Okay. I, I, this time. Okay. This time. Okay. So, so, okay. This time I'm going to ask you a question. Hold, I'm hold gonna on, ask hold a question. S- and we Lord, yeah. No, Sid. I was gonna say, can can you re? If you're gonna use a different question, can you reintroduce the speed round so I can maybe edit some of that out? <laughs> what? Reintroduce the speed round. <laughs> this is the third round. I, I meant. I meant. Re- I meant. I'm sorry. I meant reintroduce the question so I so I can get so I can so I can maybe kind of clean up a little bit because a lot of that was kind of a clusterfuck. Or do you want to keep it? <laughs> you want to you want to cut out all the stuff we just all the stuff we just talked about? I thought that was funny. Okay, fine. We'll keep it in. We'll do it live. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Every so, time someone guys, listens, guys, 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 listen, okay. listen. Okay. This time, in one sentence, you need to answer this question. Okay. One sentence. We Lord, if I and I ask this, you give one sentence response. Maxi, you give a one sentence response. I choose the winner based on how good that one sentence response is. Okay. All right. This is another question from Eon Leosite. He asks, why did Speedwagon never have a son? We Lord, your answer. Uh, he wanted to stay a bachelor. And he an oil magnet. Okay, Maxi, your answer. Because he's really hideous and unpleasant, uh, more so as he gets older. I disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> Maxi wins. That's a that's a funnier answer. <laughs> Manga fights is rigged. <laughs> the thing is, right? Maybe I'm just jealous because he has full blown curls and I only have waves, uh, or at least I do now. I, I used to have like ringlets, and as I've gotten older, my hair's just. It just looks like someone exploded <laughs> me. Huh. Okay. Maxi wins the third match of the speed round. Arbitrarily. <laughs> I wish I could be in the minds of like everybody listening to this and being like <laughs> I, I, I wanna I, I wanna I wanna I wanna see the reactions of all the people who are like, man, Cole was a pretty bad judge. He could he couldn't do anything right. And then just listening to Sid trying to come up with like three different questions trying to save the round. <laughs> Can we have Colton judge this? Hey. <laughs> Wait. It's not, so my fault. it's not my fault I didn't know Maxie didn't read 
at, at all of part eight. I mean, I'll, I'll be fair. Uh, to be honest here, even if he had read all of part eight up to this point, it still isn't a very good question. You can speculate. <laughs> it, it's a good question, but I feel, uh, I, he says with no knowledge, but I feel like it's a difficult one because like it's a it's a difficult one to debate <laughs> how do you judge it i think is the main problem part eight is kind of following the same structure as part four though where it's two very different villains and we're still in the infancy of this second half of part eight so we oh, can't wait. really I'm, I'm ready I've, I've got it because i'm reading wikipedia <laughs> jobin's the villain because he smuggles fruit yeah jobin <laughs> jobin is most likely the villain because he's smuggling the rock people fruit Oh wait! What man? What the hell? Listening to out of the, uh, any of this out of context is kind of screwing with me. I'm not. I'm not even gonna lie. Colton, this is party in a nutshell. It's about a guy with four testicles and amnesia who's fighting rock people to find magic fruit. That's that's that sounds like JoJo's. I can't argue that. <laughs> Part of my argument for Jolene in uh, in the first round of the manga fights was going to be based around the fact that the next most feminine character out of the whole cast has four testicles, and that's four <laughs> more than she has. Yeah, that, that's pretty true. Especially with all those cover color pages and covers, they really like feminize per, uh, alternate which timeline. Is, which is great. Like Androgyny's kind of Iraqi's strong point coming into his like current art style, but man, like it's. He he's a very interesting protagonist, uh, the new Josuke. Also, Colton, I I understand how you've been feeling most of this manga fights now because I'm reading about stuff that's happened in JoJo Line since I stopped like reading anything illegally, and I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. it is pretty crazy everything that happens. Okay, uh, so that that was the th- that was the third debate question, right? Yes, but the next one should be a lot. A lot more easier to it answer. It better be. <laughs> yes. A lot more organized, the, too, hopefully. Yes, it should, because this one, we lord, comes from your friend Eaton on oh, Facebook. God. Who asks, who would win in a free-for-all between all the main villains and the JoJo's? Oh, jeez. Maxi, since you won the last match, you go first. Who would win? In a free-for-all, it's, it's Poochie. <laughs> Because <laughs> when it comes down to it, like, out of all the main villains, he's the one who can just restart the whole universe, like, given enough time. And he's generally unassuming enough that if you, like, if you go in thinking they're all gonna, like, want to fight each other, he's the one who'll just stand to the side and say, and you're gone. Alright, Lord, who do you think will win? It's the heroes, because in all the established... No, choose one character. Huh? The free-for-all. Oh, in the free-for-all. Giorno. Yeah. Because in all oh, the established crap. lore of, of Jojo... Outside of the main stuff, we see that he is immune to Made in Heaven. Gold Experience Requiem is OP as heck. It can defeat anything because it resets everything to zero, which makes every power useless. All right, counter argument, Maxi. Okay, uh, I need this question answered as quickly as possible to fit into my time limit. But uh, which one of the vampires from Part Two ends up getting thrown into space and just eventually stops thinking? Cars. cars. Okay, cars would probably win then, really, despite the fact I said Pucci, because he is also the only one who could theoretically have survived the restarting in the universe because he is completely immortal. So you know, but I'm going to stick with Pucci because I said Pucci. I just wanted to throw out that there's two characters who could potentially have survived the end of Part Six. All right, time uh, up. Yeah. I didn't use that okay, pop. Okay, counter-argument. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Cars is technically immune to 
at least if we go off George, George, the George Joestar novel, which isn't really canon, but because like, in that, like, there's 36 different Carses because Made in Heaven resets 36 times. So they all land up on, like, some random planet and they just create an army of Carses. What? Wait, is, is this real? Yeah, yeah this is real. <laughs> is, is this I'm the still one by waiting N- for this novel to be translated. Is this the it's one like by Nisio Wissen? This is like an 800 page novel. But oh, the Owison novel's uh, Over Heaven. That's uh, uh, that's like a translation of Dio's like journal thing. I was going to say, because that sounded like such a Nisio concept that I'm really surprised it's the other novel. But yeah, Nisio Owison did the Dio novel. Yeah. Then the creator of Boogie Pop did Purple Haze Feedback. Oh, that, that also explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, going, going back to actual focus here. Uh, yeah, you can't really argue against Giorno, because he literally resets... Everything to zero. And all of the extended lore of Jojo shows that he is immune to Made in Heaven. Nothing Made in Heaven can do can hurt it. All right, time so, up. So, yeah. Okay. Closing argument, Maxi. Uh, may- maybe Poochie would get lucky and Jojo would just forget to use his power? That seems likely. I'm going to argue that. That's what's going to happen. All right. Time <laughs> you are closing argument. Okay, uh, I don't think that would happen because Journal wasn't even aware of his reset to zero power at the end of part five, and he still was able to reset Diablo's powers to zero. So it's like subconsciously activated within his stand. Yeah, I, I remember as I said it. <laughs> yeah, Journal's just completely OP. Journal wins. Araki really did not think that through. Okay, tie bump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think well, V-Lord articulated why Giorno would be able to beat, even as how insanely powerful Maiden Evan is, Giorno's stand is just so OP that, yeah, he would probably survive Maiden Heaven. So, winner of this round is V-Lord. I mean, winner of this match is V-Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah round. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that because there's no argument getting Giorno is like he's the Goku Superman of Jojo. He really is. <laughs> he's he's like he's like the Saitama of Jojo. To be honest, the real reason he didn't appear in part six is so Rocky knew that he was just too powerful and he would solve all the problems. Oh yeah, that's probably the reason. <laughs> just like yeah. how he wrote Fugo out of part five, he needed to write write Giorno out of part six. To be fair, the to be fair, the novels for part five are solely focused on Fugo and kind of finish that whole character arc yeah. stuff. And Araki himself has even recommended those novels to readers as supplementary material to Part 5. Alright, so we're down to our final question of this manga fight. Sid, Sid do you remember the score? Because I don't. <laughs> I do. I do remember the score. We Lord is in the lead by one point. So, Maxi, you could still potentially tie this game up. Wait, will there be a tiebreaker then, or there will be? Okay, but Maxi, you still have a chance of survival if you can win this next one. The final question of the speed round: What is the most bizarre moment of JoJo's bizarre adventure? This is a question asked by us from Sanchez Knights on Reddit, and I think it's an appropriate way to end this manga fight off. It's JoJo's is a bizarre series. Well, gentlemen, what is the most bizarre moment? V-Lord, you begin. Okay, I'd say the most bizarre moment in JoJo is in Seal Ball Run, when Lucy Steele is randomly impregnated impregnated with Jesus Christ's head. 
and then slowly takes over her body. Okay, Maxi, your your choice. Hey, do you remember in Stone Ocean when rainbows started turning people into snails and Jolene learned that snails reproduce asexually and decides that she's kind of into that? That's pretty bizarre. <laughs> like, that's a power that's really weird and that's some weird fetishizing of, like, reproducing asexually from someone turning into a snail. Sorry, time up. Counter-argument, we are. Um, well, in this moment, this was also when... Valentine still wanted to frickin' like, uh, molest or rape Lucy Steele, so it just gets even really weird sexually. And, yeah, Jesus is one really kinky person. Okay, Maxi, counter-argument. Jesus might be kinky, but Jolene is really weirdly about masturbation throughout the majority of Stone Ocean's run. And I think, you know, whilst that's one of the more traditional forms of self-pleasure, when you combine that with turning into a snail and being like, yeah, I'm gonna be all about this... That's just, ooh, it's very sexually bizarre. Why are we going down this road? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, closing argument, V-Lord. I mean, they made, like, masturbation jokes with Jolene before in part six, so I'm not sure, like, how, like, completely bizarre the scene is. I mean, yes, heavy weather is, like, a really kind of weird stand, but this is weird. You literally impregnate Lucy Steele with Jesus's head. The head. Why? Just just why? Okay, Tyler. Why? Well, well, he's trying to... Yeah, yeah. Max, he closing our ear. When it comes to the bizarreness of something related to Jesus involving immaculate conception, it's not really quite as bizarre as turning into a snail because of rainbows. <laughs> like, one of those is the... The, like the core center of like one of the biggest religious like stories of all time, and the other one is being turned into a snail by rainbows, and then getting turned on by them, and then getting <laughs> turned on by them. That's important. Thank you, Colton. Okay, that's the those are the arguments. Uh, Colton, uh, what's your opinion? Um, this? I want to know that first. This is oh, tough. God, you've not read either of these. How do you feel about this? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> As someone who hasn't read either of these, I don't know what to think. Um, I'm gonna, I feel like I would go with Maxi, honestly. Okay. Oof. Because these are so both so bizarre moments. I'm just hearing them, hearing the phrase, Lucy Steele got impregnated by Jesus' hand. I've told this to friends before. Yeah, and but also <laughs> hearing, like... The rainbows turn people into snails, and the main character gets off on it. Both of those are freaking bizarre things to hear. I, I can't imagine people who don't know what the hell we're talking about, like how they're what they're thinking about when they hear this. What the, what the fuckery? I mean, holy crap! Uh, yeah, these are both really bizarre moments. Um, in terms of like. The person who gave the most specifics, though, like, who made, who kept building on their argument, like, on the grounds of the argument, while these are both bizarre moments, Maxi, I think, kept building off of it and, like, had the most things to note about why his moment was just so much more bizarre. So, Maxi, you win the final match of the speed round, which ties the score up and leads us into... A sudden death tiebreaker! Sudden death. So, we talked a lot about really cool powers in our Best Stand in JoJo's uh, match. 
But JoJo's has a lot of really bizarre, weird, and strange powers in it. So, Sanchez Knights on Reddit asks, What is the best use of a useless power in JoJo's? Maxi, since you won the last uh, match, you get to go first. Oh, Jesus. Best use of a useless one. Uh, it, I kind of like how um the the guy who goes in at the, the hanged man in Stardust Crusaders. I like how that's a stand that's really limited, but by working together with Whole Horse, it just becomes something incredibly potent because he can be enabled through the shattering of stuff with bullets. Okay, V Lord, your choice. I'd have to go with uh. Wait, so it's a useless stand. Right? Useless power. That's a tough one, but, um, hmm. okay, I, I'm going to go with the sun, because the sun is just a literal <laughs> sun. I mean, come on. Like, what what use does that usually have? But at least the guy, like, he made his own fortress and stuff, camouflaged himself in the middle of nowhere, and utilized the power to fool people into actually thinking that it's just a regular sun, and they're just slowly dehydrating. All right, time up. For a stanza, yeah. Maxi, counter-argument. The thing is, the, the sun's not even, like, it, it's not even used very well, because, like, as smart as he was trying to be in his use of it, ultimately, everyone could, like, eventually work out, well, everyone except for, is it Polner if he doesn't work it out? Joseph. Uh, like, Oh, of course it is, because oh my god, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, everyone except him kind of works out that there's this mirror and just goes like, oh yeah, this is dumb. <laughs> So, right, you know, it's up. a good use of it, but it falls apart. Wheelord, counter-argument. I mean, it took them a pretty long time to actually figure it out. If they had, like, if they had it, like, noticed, like, the differences between the rocks, which was really hard to tell, they would have just, like, pretty much died from dehydration. So, for, for the fact that he had such a useless stand, he used it in a way that at least works really well for a situation. He found a situation where it's actually useful. All right, time up. All right, closing argument, Maxi. I think as much as both these stands are useless, I think the thing that really helps with the levels of uselessness is I feel like the sun could, just as a massive ball of heat, be used in many scenarios. Uh, the hanged man can only be used in a scenario where there's reflections. So uh, dark room, oh, he's boned. Rubbish. But right. used cleverly in the comic. I almost forgot what the question was there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Best use of a useless power. Yeah. So there you go. It's used well despite the fact it's very easily defeatable without the assistance of another stand. That's my closing argument. V-Lord, closing argument. I mean, I'd argue that Hangman can be useful in situations because it is reflections and there are still a lot of reflections in daily life that he can literally just bounce in and out of and he was a serial killer. So clearly he had been using that stand well and it's not really a useless stand. Like, without a help. But the sun! The sun is useless! The sun is terrible! But he, the user at least uses it in a very good way, in an effective way. Right, time up. And if they had, yeah. Okay, Colton, your opinion. Um, honestly, I, I feel like if, if I were to choose, I kinda, I kinda disagree with Maxi, because I feel like, I feel like I would go with V-Lord's choice just because I feel like, yeah, the, the the hangman isn't as useful without another stand user like Whole Horse. I still feel like he gave Polnareff and Kakuin plenty of trouble on, on its own. That's fair. 
I agree. H- uh, Hangman, like, during that fight, Hangman was kind of on his own for a good portion of it, and he still gave Polnareff and Kakuing a real run for their money, and, like, it was a real challenge for them to defeat him. Also, speaking of which, did, couldn't Hangman go into, like, the reflections of eyes? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to go yeah. into the reflection of that one kid's eye or whatever. I can't remember what the range is on him, but yeah, he could go pretty far. But this is the thing: I struggled here because there aren't many useless stands. Uh, yeah, I'm same. now thinking, uh, really important question: Does strength does that require a boat to actually work? Isn't the stand the boat itself? Well, no, because it's it's built up around a much smaller boat. Because when the stand fails, like this small piece of crap boat's in the middle of it. Just real, just real quick. This is so, this is something that's always confused me. So, like, you're uh, only other stand users can see stands. So, like, could could the other sailors that were with the Stardust Crusaders see that boat? Oh yeah, no, because some stands manifest in a very physical way. Yeah, there's some stands that are only like astro projections, and then there's like literal physical stands. Yeah, they're called corporeal stands or corporeal. I never pronounced that right. Sorry. Huh. Yeah, like, people can see, like, uh, whatever, whatever Kira's, like, bomb thing is that tracks people, uh, sheer heart attack. Yeah, people can see that, because it's, like, a physical object that's manifested as a stand, but, like, people can't see Star Platinum, because that's, like, an astral projection. I, sorry, I, I investigated, it turns out that what strength actually does is it brings out the, uh, the full potential of an inanimate object. So it was bound to a yacht, so it made a boat, but he could easily attach it to a pencil and just make the most deadly pencil known to man. Or a... Huh. That's oh, that's actually pretty useful. Huh. Yeah, that's a really great power, so I couldn't, I'm glad I couldn't go for that one. But going back into judging this match, I have to say, well, Maxi made a good argument. Ultimately, his, I think that his stand, the hangman... It isn't a useless power. As we've discussed, the hangman is actually quite useful and quite formidable. Whereas the sun, that is the ultimate joke stand. That is like a two chapter fight, if you want to call it that. But it still like gave this sense of dread for a lot of the characters who didn't know what was going on at the beginning. Even though they all started laughing when they realized how dumb and useless the power actually was. But when they were leaving, they commented, The sun, what a formidable stand, though we never really learned who the user was. And then it was later revealed in a guidebook uh, that the user was named Arabia Fats. Where they actually <laughs> gave him a name? Yeah, yeah Arabia name. Fats, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh my but God. the sun is a more, I think, between the two... The sun is a power that you can legitimately call useless, but the way it was used was so memorable and led to one of some of the funniest moments in the series that I think it had a really great usage out of it. So, I am giving this sudden deathmatch round and the manga fight as a whole to V-Lord GTZ! I am very surprised by this. <laughs> I, I'm not at all. You you argued your ass off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, I, last few days I've been telling Tim, like, yeah, Maxie's gonna murder me. <laughs> Maxie's just gonna creep me. It's gonna be, like, 0-5. Yeah. I think the thing that works against me is I'm always too willing to concede points to people, and that kind of weakens my own argument. But it's because I really like how people argue their points. Like, oh, 
I don't know. I, I, I love Manga Fights as a format. It, it, it's worked out real well. Yeah, Manga Fights is fun. I love them too. Uh, this was an incredible Manga Fight. Thank you guys for coming on here. This was so much fun. I hope people enjoyed it, even with the craziness we got in the middle of the speed round there. In fact, maybe they enjoyed it more because of that. But, yeah, this was exceptionally great. Uh, this was, yeah, just, wow. This was, this was a great way to celebrate 30 years of JoJo and just have a great fun discussion on the series. I guess now we kind of wrap up. I guess one thing, though, I want to mention before we start wrapping up here is that we, I love mon- doing manga fights, and we've been having like so much fun within the last couple of months. I will have to sadly note, though, that uh, we won't be doing another manga fight for the uh, short term. Uh, they take a lot of time to edit, and so uh, we, I kind of need to pass the editing duties from manga fights from Colton to me, just because it's taking up too much uh, of his time right now. And but. Right now, I'm not in a position where I can really edit manga fights either. So, uh, not until I get out of school, because I have to focus on schoolwork, thesis film, a bunch of things that are taking up my time. So, manga f- after this episode, manga fights will be on hiatus for a little bit, but you should expect it to return in the summer or late spring, maybe April, May. So... It won't be a long hiatus, but I will note that there won't be another manga fight for the next couple of months until things kind of uh, level out for us and we can have more time to spend editing the show. But for now, uh, don't expect another manga fight until late April at the earliest, I want to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. But be assured that we have some great plans for manga fights later in the year. Some really exciting ideas we've thrown around and ones that, and like a lot of topics that I'm looking forward to doing. A lot of suggestions from you, the listeners, that I want to try out too. So manga fights will return and it's going to be a heck of a fun time. So really look forward to that, you guys. And yeah, I think it's time we can start wrapping up the show. So. Maxi, where can the good people find you? Uh, at the moment, the main place to find me would be on Twitter under my new handle of Maxi the Bee. All as one word. That's uh, Maxi with a Y. It's part of a minor rebranding as I'm heading towards actually doing fresh new content, including French Effort Victory and Yay. like actual reviews and write-ups of manga, comics, and music, because... I kind of want to have an excuse to just vent my spleen on things I enjoy, which I'm pretty sure it's not how you use the phrase vent your spleen, but regardless, <laughs> Maxi to be on Twitter. All right. V-Lord, how about you? Yeah, you can find me at, at V-Lord-G-T-Z, V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Um, I'm not doing too much right now since I'm focusing on college and getting my finance degree. Um, but if you want to talk about JoJo or Detective Conan... Those are like the big two things that I'm obsessed with. So, yeah, if you want to talk about those, hit me up. All right. Uh, as for myself, you can find me as at Lumromayasha on Twitter, my anime list at Animation Revelation. Base, I'm taking kind of an internet hiatus right for the moment right now, however. So you won't really see me tweeting or posting much on any of those sites, at least not until the summer. But if you want to get in contact with me, you can get in contact with me through direct message on Twitter, and I will answer those. And 
Uh, you can, if you're interested in my artwork at all, you can look up my art blog on Tumblr at Sid Gupta's Awesome Art Blog. And now, Colton, how about you take it away and uh, close off with, you know, uh, talking about yourself and uh, promoting all comic a little bit. Yes. So, uh, you know, I I didn't speak as much, but I still had fun with this uh, manga fight. However, unorganized, I got it sometimes. But hey, people probably will find that funny. I think it's kind of funny. I'm going to hate editing it, but I'm sure people will find it funny. Um, Good moral support. (laughs) Yes. Good. Yes. Thank you. I, I tried. Uh, but you know, if you want to follow me uh, on uh, on Twitter, uh, you can find me at Sniper King three two three. That's S N I P E R K I N G three two three. I do a lot of other podcasts, uh, like I mentioned just a bit ago. Um, I uh, aside from you know all the podcasts I help edit for All Comic, I also uh, run and edit uh, a Gintama podcast called Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. Essentially, we go over uh, the Gintama manga from the beginning and basically go through the old uh, Viz Media release that is, you know, you know, it, it's discontinued, but it's still out there if you want to buy it. And you can find that. That's uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also find uh, my other podcast, One Podcast Prevails, uh, a podcast about uh, Case Close slash Detective Conan. And uh, you could find that at uh, onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. It's essentially the same kind of format I mentioned with Life Lessons. We go over the uh, Detective Conan manga from the beginning and try to trudge our way through 90 volumes of content. Oh, boy. Uh, So if you want to listen to that, go listen to that. But I guess as for uh, Manga Mavericks, Manga Fights, and All Comic, uh, you know, if you want to follow All Comic and, you know, in general, you can find pretty much every episode of Manga Fights and Manga Mavericks on uh, all-comic.com. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash alt.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow Manga Fights specific, or uh, I guess Manga Fights, Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks. Uh, pretty much, I want to say probably the fastest way you're going to be able to receive updates from us on uh, on the podcast and whatnot. You can also follow us on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. And if you want to email us anything about uh, Manga Mavericks or... Uh, you know, any any suggestions you have for uh, manga fights and what you want to s- uh, hear us debate about, uh, you can email us anything about those sorts of things at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And I think that's going to be about it. So, you know, even with this sort of extended hiatus, um, you know, be, be sure to still listen to, uh, to Manga Mavericks. That'll definitely still be produced every other week. But, uh, yeah, you still have stuff to look forward to. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this manga fight. Uh, Sid, take us out. That's right. Arrivederci. See ya. As our good friend Bruno Bucciolari would say. Or like that one guy from Reborn who shoots himself in the head and then becomes a fan favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Sayonara, everybody. Sayonara, everybody.